the great and the good at Granada, the top executives, were putting the finishing touches to their plans for the pilot of this show that didn't even have a title but was going to be this morning, in competition with all the other ITV companies. And they'd got it all pretty much sorted out on this bank holiday. They'd all come in on their bank holiday and they're all kind of, you know, lying around on the floor drawing graphs and making notes. And they pretty much got the pilot put together in their heads but they hadn't decided who to present it. And they were talking about all the usual suspects, you know, Gloria Hunniford, da, 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 and all these names of, of, of you know, the great and the good on telly. Uh, and they weren't, no, no, not quite right, not quite right. And there suddenly, they looked at the monitor on, in the corner of the office where Judy and I, with the sound down, were probably on our sort of 15th hour of presenting the telethon together. And somebody said, Richard and Judy, that they're used to presenting together. <laughs> Fuck, they're married. <laughs> They've got kids. Whoa, and it was like a huge light bulb moment. Hello, guys, and welcome to a very, 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 very special edition of the podcast. That was Richard and Judy, my friends. In this business course show for almost 30 years now, I truly, sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, love these guys. We talked for over two hours. We gave each other access all areas from a conversational point of view. I miss them in person. I can't wait to see them again soon, as soon as we're able to break bread and share many bottles of wine with our friends again. I don't know about you, but I still have a tough time believing that's the case. But we are where we are, and this too shall pass, and I'm sure that day will be here sooner than we think. At least I hope so. I also cannot wait for you guys to hear our conversation together. It's only moments away, but first, I am so excited to be able to announce today's show is brought to you by the world-famous legendary whole food dietary daily supplement, Athletic Greens. Ta-da! This is so cool. Every morning, Tash, my wife, and I go scoop da loop with one heap scoopful of this all-round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy, recovery, immunity, and digestion. I've been on it for about four weeks now, and I feel genuinely different. My skin is smoother. I love a nap in the day. I don't always get to have one, but now if I don't somehow, it feels okay. You know, it could be a placebo effect, but I don't think it is. Well, whichever way I look at it, I think Athletic Greens is working for me. A deep seaweed green like nature itself. This eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds, like no more than five or six. Okay, ten tops. To prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous. After hearing my go-to wellness wise guys go on about Athletic Greens for years, you know, Rich Roll and the likes of Tim Ferriss, you know, you know, you know the names I'm talking about. I've been on my own Athletic Greens journey now with my wife for about four weeks. And honestly, honestly, I'm convinced it's made a difference. I always, always hankered for a nap in the afternoons, you know, and I still, I still try and get like an hour of lying down. You know, I actually lie down on the rug on the floor, in the living room, because it grounds me. But over the last month, if I've missed out on my hour, which sometimes I do, it doesn't come back to bite me at tea time with the kids. When it usually does, it feels all right. I mean, I still want it. I don't know if it's a placebo effect, but honestly, um, I just feel different. My skin feels smoother. I'm thinking more clearly. I don't know, I don't know, but give it a go. Deep seaweed green, like nature herself. This eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds, like no more than five or six. Okay, ten tops in our house. To prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous. It's the one scoop vitamin soup to send your serotonin levels loop-de-loop, -loop, like that. 
Very good. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow and join health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow. Okay, and don't forget slash how to wow because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given how to wow listeners. A free year's supply of vitamin D and five travel free packs today to take with you on the go once again. Athleticgreens.com slash don't forget how to wow. Keep the conversation. So good morning, you two. Hello. 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 Uh, this is Richard and Judy. This is so exciting for me. And this is how oh. to wow. So um, first of all, thanks so much for doing this. Oh, come on. It's a pleasure. We've kind of, we've, we've kind of. He read for me. I mean, I oh, know I Richard's done. <laughs> Richard's done quite a lot of radio. Um, I've done very little, and I've really sort of come to uh, really appreciate podcasts. They're completely different than doing anything in a, in a TV studio. They're just it's just so much more relaxed, and um, and you know, just sort of you and a couple of other people. It, it's a lovely sensation, actually. And you're not up against the clock, are you? No. No, you're not doing timings in your head, thinking, yeah. "Well, you know, gonna, and it's funny, isn't clash it? a break here." It's yeah. funny. You're so right, Richard, because not only is that about the sort of ultimate duration of each conversation, they can just end when they're meant to. But because mm. you know that's the case, it takes the pressure off from the beginning, and the whole thing is a different rhythm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I wish we'd. I wish we'd done OJ Simpson on a podcast. <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember, but when O.J. Simpson was sensationally acquitted, which is just extraordinary, uh, and I, I don't know how we did it, but but Judy and I got the exclusive with him, and he flew the Atlantic, and we were, we were meant to interview him over what was it, half an hour? It was, a, it was an ITV half hour. No, but it wasn't just him in half. No, an but that's what I was going to say. It was but, the first show, but it was meant to be him in for the first half for, for the first show as a special, you know. Um, and on the morning of, of, of this live transmission, because it was live at seven o'clock, and it was a huge story, and all the papers were on it. O.J. Simpson and talks to Richard and Judy, all this. Um, the, the, the then head of ITV dropped his bottle and said, I, I don't think we should be giving the whole programme to what everybody knows as a killer. We said, no, 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 that's the point. That's the story. You know, that's the dichotomy that he's been acquitted and yet everybody thinks he did it. And we're going to need the full half hour to, to kind of drill down into this story. But the edict was issued that we had to only give in the first half, which in ITV terms was about 11 and a half minutes. Mm. And we had a live studio audience and we and we started this interview and it was starting to warm up and then we got the hard count and you had to go to break and didn't yes, you? I, I got the short straw. <laughs> and Judy said, Well, that's all we have time for, OJ, and we'll go oh, to a break. After the break, Neil Diamond. Me. Unbelievable. <laughs> we just had, talk about throwing away a screw. Well, hang on, for Neil now, Diamond, maybe it's worth it. Pardon? For Neil Diamond, maybe it was worth it. <laughs> no, and, and it was a pre-record with Neil because Diamond. Because nobody would nobody would come into the studio with OJ. That's they wouldn't right, yeah. we we were recording it. Um, at, was it at Granada in Manchester? Or no, was it, it was in London. London. We come to London, yeah. And um, and, and and nobody, no, none of our American guest stars, um, you know, including people like Cher and God knows who else, they, they just wouldn't set foot in the same the studio. <laughs> so the whole show was completely screwed because of OJ. And what did you think? I mean, because that's one of those that's one of those on air experiences where you know the aftermath you know, after you go off the air is, is felt for a long time because you must have been... And you don't want to get angry with anyone because it's not fair, but but you, that's got to that's got to cause a few bumps in the road afterwards, hasn't it? I was very, 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 very angry, yeah. uh, uh, you know, as a journalist because we'd, we'd, we'd got a scoop, you know, for ITV and, and for British television and all that, and it was a global scoop. And through sheer cowardice, uh, and, and I suppose back then we would have called it political correctness, they threw it away. They wanted it both ways. They wanted to sort of say, we have contempt for O.J. Simpson, but 
we we want the scoop. And uh, and like I say, eleven minutes. Well, you know, we'd only just got warmed up. We had a, we we scored a couple of hits on him, but uh, you know, the whole strategy of the interview that Judy and I had been so careful about putting together beforehand just went out the window. And we only had about four hours to change strategy, and it was just oh. I was I was angry about it. Well, I still am actually angry about it for years. <laughs> yeah, no, but really funny things happened that day. I remember. <clears throat> first of all, it was your birthday. It was. Wasn't yeah. it? Was it your fortieth birthday? Uh, well, hang on. Fifty six, seventy six, eighty nine. No, I think two thousand and six, ninety six. It would have been. Yeah. Yeah. Would have been your fortieth birthday. I think so. Yeah. And I remember that, <laughs> which made your sort of subsequent anger <laughs> <laughs> even more pointed. But also, I remember Piers Morgan um, emailing us uh, or whatever you did in those days. Did you have emails <laughs> in those days? I got no idea. Um, he got in touch with us just before the show and said, "Listen, I just think you ought to know because you were kind of interviewing O.J. Simpson. The whole of." Fleet Street is sitting there with massive barbs and knives and harpoons daggers. and daggers Drawn, yeah. waiting to kind of uh, stick right into you. And I looked at you and I thought, you know, I wish I wasn't bloody doing this. <laughs> it's just awful. Actually, we didn't get a bad press afterwards. They were just mystified as to why we'd, we'd ended it. And I think we managed to leak the story out that it was a it was an edict from, from ITV. So I, we, we sort, of, sort of got away with it. We weren't criticised for it. Much, um, and some people quoted some of the questions and said they were okay. But it wasn't. Um, it, it would never have been a triumph because you can't nail somebody even in an ITV half hour is actually about twenty four minutes. You know, you're not going to do it. But it would have been a lot better, and it was just a wasted opportunity. But you know, enough. <laughs> no, but so interesting though. So let's talk about criticism. So I, we were talking. Um, I was talking to Noel Fitzpatrick, the super vet, about uh, just that in our last book two podcasts and he was you know he said to me you know well how have you how have you dealt with it in the past you know also when we fail we fail in public because we're on the telly or on the radio and how is that for you and we we sort of talked it out I didn't really have an answer for him and I thought about it a lot actually for the next few days afterwards Mm. and I suppose you know in the 90s I didn't really care that much because we were just having Mm. so much fun um Mm. and so so the sort of the, the every situation was underwritten because no matter what happened, as long as nobody got hurt, you know, or, or particularly uh, upset about it for real, if it was just showbiz, you know, um, mm-hmm. showbiz turbulence as you were, it didn't really bother me because, you know, we were just having such a high old time. Um, and then after that, you know, I thought, well, it's always about talking, so you always talk it out. I mean, you two, because you've, you've been at it forever, you know, and anybody who's been at anything forever fails a lot more than they succeed, uh, but, you, mm-hmm. you know, the more no's you get, the closer to a yes you are. Uh, have you have you have you um, discovered a, a, a sort of if you like a couple's therapy to get through things? Is it the one that's recognisable that you can now apply consciously, or is it still work in progress? Well, <clears throat> I think it changes throughout your career. I mean, as we were saying earlier, that when you start off, we started off just as you started off. I mean, you were a complete sort of a maverick on the scene. You completely changed uh, radio, breakfast uh, and TV, sorry, breakfast TV. Um, and, you know, and I remember that vividly at the time. And we were very much in Liverpool and we were very much um, on our own, our own little outpost. We're doing this morning from... Uh, what was it? A car showroom, wasn't it? A converted car yeah. showroom. Was studio. it really? Yes, yeah. it really was. On, on the Albert Dock, 
And uh, it was very, the Elba dot was lovely, you know, and we used to kind of, we used to, we used to film it against the window so you could see all the docks and the red pillars and the colonnades. And it used to look a bit like Venice, uh, Venice on a fairly cloudy, unpleasant day, <laughs> I have to admit. But it did, it was very, very beautiful. Um, but we kind of felt not impervious to criticism, but we felt very much a kind of slightly beleaguered army, didn't we, Richard? We kind of felt we had each other's backs and we had we had the whole team's backs. I think psychologically, the fact that, that we were genuinely married, it wasn't a TV marriage, you know, it wasn't a kind of like an Anne and Nick thing. We were genuinely married. We were coming in from, from a busy household full of babies and children and a nanny coming in to take over when we left for Liverpool and doing the show and talking through what had happened then going home again and becoming absolutely active parents again. Um, we felt we had a kind of reality. We were rooted in reality. And so the, the inevitable criticism and mockery, you know, and all, all of that, all the piss-taking that goes on when you, when you have a high profile, didn't really matter to us. I, that, that's the first thing I'd say, that I think, we, as Judy said, we had each other's backs and always have had. So th that, was, that gave us a real advantage in terms of being able to withstand, you know, unfair gossip, criticism, however you want to categorise it. Personally, um, Judy said it's a process of, of, of time, and, and, and she's right. I... I, I learned quite early on, and I've, I've held this quite tightly to myself since it, the, the bulb, the light bulb went on, that act, actually, two things. One, criticism doesn't really matter. Unless it's very well founded, you've done something really, really badly wrong, then you have to take, to take account of it. But by and large, it's just froth, and it doesn't have any real impact on your career. I mean, I've never not had a contract because there's been a nasty two-page article in that morning's Daily Mail, you know. I've, I've never had a show taken away from me, or we've had a show taken away from us, because there's been a prolonged campaign on Twitter. You know, it's, it's actually incidental. And the key to not minding it is, A, recognising that it doesn't really have any effect in the the real world. It only potentially can affect your psychology. And the second thing is, and I speak for both Judy and me here, you must not take yourself seriously at all. Yeah. Just because you're in the public eye, just because you happen to be on telly, just because people recognise you in the street. And all that is is a, is a returning sonar echo you know, of, of the fact that you, you ping out, so things ping back at you. Um, I always remember the late, great Tony Wilson. I've told the story many times because it's a good one and it's true, but when I joined Granada and started to work with Judy, I'd been there for about two or three weeks, and we were part of a three-presenter lineup on the nightly news show, Granada Reports, and Tony Wilson, you know, Factory Records, The Hacienda, all of that, uh, Happy Mondays, blah, blah. Tony Wilson was Mr. Manchester. He was a mank. He was a huge cultural force in Manchester. He was on the telly every night, and then he'd go off to The Hacienda, and he'd go off and run his bands. He was massive. And he was, being Tony, he was very, very controversial. You either liked him or you loathed him. And when I got to Manchester, I noticed almost straight away, as I drove into the city for my first day's work there, that all over the city, there was this, this graffiti that said, Tony Wilson is a wanker. It was everywhere. <laughs> it, it was in, it was written, you know, it was sprayed on in It in, was in worse graffiti. than that sometimes. Uh, well, yeah, but that but no, but it was it was iconic, and it was done in the same kind of um, tag, same kind of style. Tony Wilson is a wanker. Hundreds and hundreds of these things, and one of them was visible from the the newsroom at Key Street, Manchester Granada newsroom. And I remember one morning after the news conference, I'd only been there about two or three weeks, and I hadn't really got to know Tony. Somebody made a reference to the graffiti opposite that we could all see. Tony Wilson is a wanker, and Tony Wilson came back with a, a real zinger, and I realised that he didn't care. So a few minutes later, the news conference of the day was over, and I was at the water cooler or the coffee machine with Tony. And we got chatting and I said, I pointed at this thing that we could see out of the window. I said, does that not bother you? And he said, of course it doesn't fucking bother me. Why should it fucking bother me? Would it bother you? And I said, well, yeah, if I went to my hometown, Romford in Essex, and there was Richard Maley's a wanker everywhere, yeah, I think it might carve me up a bit. 
And, he, and I said, well, why, why doesn't it bother you? And he said, because it's fucking true. <laughs> I said, what? He said, it's true. He said, let me ask you a question, Richard. He said, do you like being on the telly? And I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, fuck off, you know what I mean. Do you like it? Do you enjoy being on the telly? I said, yes, of course I do. He said, well, that makes you a wanker. He said, all of us in television, we're all wankers. He said, so if somebody wants to write the truth, and that's the truth over there, good, good on them, because it's, it's right. We're wankers. And it was a fan what he was really saying was, where we came in here, don't take yourself remotely seriously. Nice. Take it on the chin. It's and I, I've never forgotten that. It was, it, was a, it was an object lesson, actually, to a very young presenter. I was only in my 20s then. It's a great lesson. I wasn't a wanker. I was going to say... <laughs> I, for, for a very good reason. I didn't even want to utter this, the word in the same sentence as Judy. But, I, that's what I, but you said it, Judy, so um, off you go. <laughs> Judy, of course, is ex accepted from this general rule. Thank you. <laughs> no, but it's interesting, isn't it, Rich? Because, you know, some of us do love being on telly, and other people are on telly but um, aren't that bothered whether they're on telly or not and some of the people really really don't like being on telly but are because it's what they do for a living you know um, so he's so he's half right and he's half wrong let's talk about Judy now because um, Ju Judy I would say that you were happy to be on telly happy to be on telly which is different from wanting to be on telly or or, or loving being on telly and eating it up for every minute of every show yeah I mean um... <clears throat> Telly is sort of two different worlds, really, isn't it? Well, it's many different worlds, but there's the actual job that you do and there's all the stuff that surrounds it, which kind of um, almost sort of disembodies you and puts you into a, a, another arena. I've always wanted to... Um, uh, well, originally I wanted to act, but I was a lousy actress, absolutely hopeless. I uh, could never forget my inhibitions. So after I finished university, well, I did English and drama at Bristol, and uh, I vaguely leaned towards publishing, but in the end I got a job, I got a temp secretarial job with the BBC, and that made me realise, I was working, it was a, it was a lovely uh, department in Manchester, it was the children's department then, and BBC Oxford Street, and um, Oxford Road rather, and they... Uh, I loved it. I loved all these people who were making all these wonderful children's programmes and they were so happy and uh, and really enjoyed their work. And I thought, right, well, that's for me. That's really interesting, stimulating stuff. And so I kind of persevered and ended up not... I had no intention of ending up on the telly. I just wanted to initially be a researcher and then perhaps a producer, etc. But I ended up on the way falling into, uh, into TV, sort of being on the screen. And I enjoyed it because I enjoy doing really... I enjoy interviews very much and I very much enjoy getting to the heart of someone and I love talking to people really interesting people and finding out new things about them but the trouble is I mean I think I don't know I can't make up my mind whether it's worse now than it was but I think the 80s was an incredibly cruel decade in terms of uh, in terms of criticism and people tearing each other apart uh, the press was much crueler and I think Richard and I got it in got in sort of got in the neck a lot purely because we were married um and just remember it was mr and mrs married mr and mrs perfect they used they used to say and which which of course we were I and mean, you know we couldn't help being married and actually in, to some extent it was uh quite an advantage in in making a show like we were making because we kind of did know each other's thoughts on um sort of domestic intimate sort of things we knew each other inside out and that kind of helped it was a kind of shortcut to um to presenting and and we had a obviously we had a kind of chemistry because we loved each other etc so I mean if that came over um then then fine but people seen and I say people I mean the press not the audience the audience seemed to enjoy it but the press were very very difficult and I did find it 
um, I did find it uh, extremely unpleasant and hard to put up with sometimes. You were, you were a lot more affected by it than me, weren't you? Oh, yeah, I'm a lot more thin-skinned than you are anyway. I mean, you're much more gregarious and social. I'm just not, you know, I'm not. I'm just a kind of... I'm quite private, really. And uh, and my I think my emotions are quite a lot sort of closer to the surface. Mm. You could say that's partly men, men and women, but it's also just how we are individually. And also, yeah. you're not remotely ambitious. No, I'm not. I've never been ambitious. I've just mm. wanted to enjoy what I'm doing. I've just wanted to sort of, you know, just have, have fun. And I also felt all the time that my real life was with the family. I felt that my real touchstone, my kind of, um, you know, the, the essence of me was my children and my family. And uh, that's what I wanted. I put that first all the time and I didn't want anything to interfere with that. And actually, in many ways, in the early days, the kind of filming and recording we did didn't interfere with it because we were doing a daily show. Uh, even when we lived in Manchester and we were doing the show in Liverpool, we still got home by mid-afternoon and we still got home in time to pick the kids up from school. Yeah. And we had a very strongly domestic family. We never went out all that much. We never did all that red car carpet stuff mm. um and i think that's probably what get me sane in the end. <laughs> just that just that direct connection to family all the time it's funny though isn't it because just just hearing you talk about it i mean one of the reasons you had such a tough time is probably because you you weren't you, you couldn't say this but i could you know you were becoming quite powerful um you know and you didn't need the press and so they wanted oh. to put you back in your box that's a that's a good very good point actually but i still come back to what i said a few minutes ago I, I, I quickly came to the conclusion that it just didn't matter. Um, so I, I would open a, you know, a Daily Mail or a Daily Mirror to see a completely sort of unexpected assassination job on, on, on the two of us, and I would genuinely shrug it off. Uh, Judy, Judy would take it more to heart. It's not that she believed it, but, but it would affect her more because, as she says, she's more thin-skinned. I don't think it's necessarily the case that I've got a thicker skin. It's just that I sort of worked it out. And I don't know, maybe it's because we had different paths to where we, we ended up together. I mean, I, I started in newspapers, you know, and I used to freelance for what was then Fleet Street um, when I was the deputy editor of a, of a, of a weekly paper in East London. Uh, so I kind of knew it. I, I knew how it worked because I'd, I'd, I'd actually done it. I'd worked in, I'd worked in that section of the media in, in the start of my career. So it, it didn't actually intimidate me as much. I didn't like it, um, but I, I genuinely didn't think it mattered. And as, as you say, Judy, it didn't affect what the audience thought. You know, it, you know, if there was a if there was a monster piece in, in one of the papers in the, one morning that afternoon when I was going to do the shopping, people didn't spit on me in the street. <laughs> you know, I mean, they'd say, "Oh, love the show this morning," or or, or not. Um, it it didn't have any bearing on what the audience thought, and, and by the audience, I mean the real just real people, people like you and me. Um, it didn't affect them. It didn't bend their thinking, and it, I don't think it ever does. I I, I I genuinely don't think that campaigns in newspapers against public figures purely because they're public figures rather than because they've done something wrong. I don't think that it affects public opinion at all. Do you think, Chris, do you, do you think that these days um, the press is, is more muzzled than it was? Do you think that the, the sort of criticism... I know criticism can be vicious, but that's usually social media, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think I get a sense that the depth of resources uh, behind certain publications and outlets isn't there anymore. Uh, I think mm. there's, yeah. th there's a lot of skeleton teams, you know, behind quite big names or big trademarks nowadays. And I think there's a lot of copying, pasting and... Yes. Just, you know, in a, way, in a way, maybe listen to things like this. Um, and also there's a lot of people who've been around for a long time... Um, doing it themselves, doing it ourselves, you know, whether you've got a YouTube channel or you've got an Instagram channel or, or whatever that might be. And I think what's really interesting listening to you two talk about it is uh, is the phenomenon of Piers Morgan, 
because Piers is a big old beast now on the telly and he's yeah. brilliant on the radio and his book, his new book is amazing. And of course he has dished it out and is, you know, and now is on the other end of it. And so times Richard, your experience by a thousand of having worked, you know, in, in, in sort of in uh, mm. newsprint or for newspapers. And because he knows it all inside out and he, he knows it's a massive game, you know, and he came on our show a couple of weeks ago and I wouldn't say he was like a pussycat, but, yeah. you know, um, the, the fangs were not out and nor were the talons of the claws. And people listened to the interview and we've never had a reaction to an interview like it ever. Um, Why? What, what happened? Well, because people... Well, the, 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 did I just hear 53 minutes of Piers Morgan at the end of it think I might quite like him? <laughs> Things like that. Yes. Uh, because, yeah. he's so, because he is so insightful and, you know, because his, his thick skinness, which is there on the telly every morning, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say it's an act, but it's not who he really is. No, it's his shtick, it, and 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 he's he's honed that, and uh, I think he's he's taken it to another level. Actually, I mean, he certainly wasn't like that when he was broadcasting in America. I mean, I know he basically lost his job in America because he he, he took America on about gun ownership, didn't he? Yeah. And he wouldn't. He simply would have no truck with it, and basically kept telling them off, uh, <laughs> which was pretty brave. But it ended it ended his American career, and, and he had to come back here. But I think his the tonality of the way that Piers broadcasts now is there is more there's more shtick around it i mean <clears throat> we've known piers going back to when he was the, the showbiz editor of the sun yep. i remember him coming up to liverpool and interviewing us and, and he and i actually went to the same journalistic college we both studied at harlow um, you know shorthand and law and all that kind of stuff um uh, and he's i have to say we've always known that 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 the real peers. I remember we were in America on holiday with the kids in the early years of this morning, and we were being followed by Paps in America, which was unexpected, to be honest. <laughs> and they and they got shots it's quite of us cool, all. Though. The... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, they got shots of us in the pool, and we got word from London. In it was our... Disney. We're, we're in Disney World, weren't we? I think we're in Disney. Yeah, we're in Florida. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, they got shots of us frolicking in the pool, and Judy in her bikini, and all that stuff. And we 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 got some calls from London saying these pictures are out there. There's agencies touting them around Fleet Street. What do you want to do? And we said, well, what, uh, Judy was felt very much invaded. Her privacy had been invaded, which it had. And we just tried to ignore it. And anyway, came back to the hotel room, a lot of messages waiting, and one of them was from Piers. And he was editing The Mirror then. He was, he'd just been made editor of The Daily Mirror. So I called him back, and he basically said that he had bought the pictures. He got them. Uh, but he understood that they were an invasion of privacy. And how would it be if Judy and I and the kids were to pose for his staffer out in, in Florida and do some, some more tasteful pictures, which he would run instead of the ones he'd bought? Uh, and we were on speakerphone and Judy shook her head and, and she was absolutely right. And I said, Piers, that's a kind offer, but do your worst, basically, because if we do that deal with you today, yeah. then we're going to be doing deals like that for the rest of our careers every time we're papped we're going to have to do some kind of trade-off and we're not into that we're not like that that's not who we are so uh no thanks but thanks anyway and there was a pause and he said i'm on speakerphone and i said yes he said judy can you hear me and judy said yes he said right listen to this and there was this kind of odd sort of metallic tinkling sound he said did you hear that we said yes and judy said what was it and he said those are the photographs photographs that i bought i've just put them in the bin um and i thought that was an, an extraordinarily generous thing to do you could say that he was Banking a favour for the future. Yeah. I suppose. No, I don't, but I don't think, think so. I don't think that was it. No, I don't think so. I, I, I'm, I think I'm a 
good judge of character and I've always liked Pierce since then and I think his heart's in the right place and uh, good for him for sort of <laughs> you what. This, he's becoming what... this amazing figure. Yeah, he's what we need at the moment, isn't he? No doubt about yeah. that. <clears throat> yeah. the, only, the only downside is he's up against us at the same time in the morning, but never mind. Oh, can't <laughs> Chris, you are a legend. You are, you, you are more nothing of a legend than Pierce. I mean, you always oh, will be. Nothing to fear here. Because, yeah. uh, you know, again, reminiscing with you, and by the way, this is such a treat for me, so thanks so much. Um, oh, it's a pleasure. It's, it's gorgeous, actually. Um, you know, you forget, one forgets. Um, you know, you two were massive, weren't you? You were so blinking famous. Um, I, I still can't, I, I can't, I don't know. I know I, mean, you, I know you but... can't get your head around it, but you can't deny it. You were massive. Um... Well, I suppose, the, I suppose the, the proof of that pudding is, I mean, Judy doesn't do uh, television very much at all anymore. We've both gone back and we've done a couple of guest presenting roles on this morning, haven't we? You know, we've done a show yeah, just, just for a laugh. Just for a laugh, yeah. But I sit in for, for, for peers and other people on, on Good Morning Britain from time to time and I do, I, I mean, I've kept my toe in the water, you know, I freelance around a bit. But I think that the reason that, that we're both still recognised and I'm still recognised is because of those years. It's it's those 21 years of doing This Morning for 13 and... and um, uh, Channel Four, the Richard and Judy show in the evenings for for seven or eight years. I think that gives you, in the end, you you, you develop a kind of momentum in terms of the public being aware of you, and it just doesn't go away. Um, I mean, a lot of the time, you know, when I'm clocked in the in, in the street, it'll be you know somebody in a driving a van past will say, "Oh, Richard and Judy," you know, not Richard, <laughs> but Richard and Judy. It's still it's still kind of extant. It's still out there. So, I, I, like Judy, I'm I'm still slightly puzzled by it because we are who we are and that's basically private people but yes you you're right it did it it was a, it became a huge bubble of of kind of celebrity but i guess that's because we were chris we were on every day you know oh, every day oh, for 21 well, years so so other people have been on every day forever there's not the same <laughs> impact it's because you mentioned anna and nick before so yeah. people may not re remember who Anna and Nick were, uh, but we're talking about a very famous breakfast couple on TVAM, uh, which is the ITV equivalent of BBC Breakfast News, and um, Anne Diamond and Nick... Nick Owen. Owen. Nick Owen, of course. Now, they weren't married, but they were a TV couple, and they had a massive following. So you were as good as them. Then you say you were better or worse, but you were you were on a, on a par with them anyway from a chemistry point of view, but you also happened to be actually married. And so... That's like rocket fuel to, yes. to, to what is already a very, very complimentary and watchable thing on the telly. And then we have the psychological subconscious soap opera of how you two are feeling that day and, oh, they've had a row or they've not had a row. Or... Oh, we had a lot of that. We, I mean, th this was pre-social media. God knows what it would have been like with, with, with today with Twitter if we, if we were doing... If, you know, if we, we could transport the past into the present, yeah. it, would be, it would be a massive on, on social media. But, yes, our phone-in room used to say routinely we'd come off air and Gerald the girl who who ran the phone in room and all the girls who took the calls would would come out and smile and say they're all saying you've had a row they can tell and they were usually right. <laughs> were usually right. What were the yes, tells? Do you think it was catnip? You know, a lot of viewers got a lot of pleasure and quite harmless, innocent pleasure out of trying to work out what the dynamic was that morning between this husband and wife. You know, had they had a row? Imagine, can you imagine you know, if Twitter had existed when you... That's what I'm around? saying. It would oh, have been extraordinary. God help us. <laughs> no, yeah. it, would have been, it would have been brilliant because it was, it was brilliant anyway. The burning sun would have had yet more satellites. 
<laughs> to, to feed back into it. But it's so funny because I've never done this because, you know, I I don't have a phone at all now and Tash is rarely on her phone anyway. Uh, but lots of people do, don't they? They all watch, they all they all sit in their living room around their favourite programme, all with their phones on their laps and they've got two or three viewing experiences. You know, one mm. is the WhatsApp with their mates about the programme they're watching. One is with the group, the, the collective that's watching the programme nationwide, if not worldwide. And then the other one is now and again, they might actually watch the programme itself. And you get all, you get this, <laughs> It's like a it's like a sitcom, isn't it? You get those three arcs. You get the main arc, you know, narrative A, narrative B, and narrative C, and you get all that going on. I mean, have you experienced that yourself at home? No, Good God, no. we don't do that no. at all. No, and and in fact, we. although I mean, Judy isn't even on social media. Right. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I actually increasingly. I mean, the, Twitter was great when it started. It was it, the analogy I always use. It was like in the early days. It was like going into a, a new pub full of strangers who, on the whole, were really interesting and nice people and good to have a drink with and a, and a joke with and a chat. And then slowly the atmosphere changed. And now that pub you go in and there are lots of people in there who will throw their beer over you yeah. just for the hell of it um, or swear at you or, or even worse. There are still some nice people in there, but why would you want to go to a pub like that for a drink? So I use Twitter to pump out you know, PR, basically, to say I'm about to be presenting this or doing that um, or you know, I've got a book out or whatever, but I don't look at it. And I know a lot of presenters, and I'm not going to name any of them, but I know a lot of current presenters who I think have an unhealthy relationship with Twitter. They, uh, you know, they're, they're broadcasting and checking what people are saying about them, you know, in the break. Yeah. And I think I think that's that's very damaging. Um, and because... then maybe changing their tack after the break in the next part yeah. because of it. Well, possibly, yes. But I mean, I, I've got a cartoon pinned up on the wall in the kitchen, which I actually put up for, for, for Chloe, our daughter, because she was, you know, she's in the public eye and she does quite a lot. She's married to James Haskell, you know, the rugby player. So she gets quite a lot of stuff on social media and, 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 it, it, and, and it used to bother her. There's a great cartoon in Private Eye. It's two frames. And the first frame, it shows what, it looks like a scene out of a, a Christmas carol when Scrooge looks out of the window and the sky is full of screaming phantoms and devils and whatnot. Um, there's an illustration in A Christmas Carol to show that. And it's kind of like that. And the caption under it is, what the press thinks a Twitter storm looks like. <laughs> and then the next caption is, a, is a, an overweight, pudgy, middle-aged bloke in his, in his grimy underpants sitting in what looks like a box room uh -huh. with a laptop on his, on, his, on his lap going tap, tap. Tap, tap, tap. And the caption is, and what a Twitter storm really looks like. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's very wise. And I think that, and I think it's true. So, um, I can't remember where we came in on this point, but but, but no, all yeah, I was we saying about social is, media. if you know, we weren't actually. We were talking about if you two were on the telly for eighteen oh, yeah. years or yeah. whatever it was um, on this morning, and what we do every because we used to tune in and we used to think. I always think, you know, uh, who's leading today's show? Who's up for it? Is Judy, you know, is she playing the usual role, reluctant <laughs> but informed, um, <laughs> sage uh, but modest, you know, and, and Richard, Mister Telly, and you were, but you are Miss Telly, and you love it because because you're a fan. I mean, Judy, you're a fan of watching television but you Richard you know we talked to Philip Schofield he did a great two and a half hour podcast with us you know and he's a student of television you know he he bought you know those um oh what are they they made by oh, I can't remember they're called 2000s the, the big old original Philips 2000 cameras he bought one of them and it's he's got it at home you know the big ones on the big old peds that's yes. that's how much he loves telly and that's you Richard isn't it now now somebody told me a story about that camera I thought it might have been you but it couldn't have been only the a couple of days ago they said that they were around at Philip's house and uh, he said, look at this. And he took them to this, this studio <laughs> camera that he's got there. And he unscrewed it yeah. and took the back off and said, now put your head in there. And this person, <laughs> whose name I can't remember, put their head inside the camera and, and stood there. And Philip said, 
take a deep breath through your nose, and they did. And Philip said, that's the smell of television. Whoa! <laughs> now, that really is immersive stuff. He's out so there, isn't I, he? I was, I, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> yeah. quite as immersed as, as Phil is about to. No, he loves <laughs> it. Yes, I, mean, I, he loves I think it. you'd be immersed in the back garden if you were like that, <laughs> I tell you. But, yeah, I, I grew up in, I suppose, what many of us would, of my generation would see as the, as the golden age of television, you know, yeah. um, in the 1960s and 70s, when everything seemed very new, you know, and, and for, for example... A live link up around the planet to actually get you know a live outside broadcast simultaneously from say Australia, the west coast of America and London was a big deal and 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 seemed like amazing stuff that, that you could actually see somebody live in Australia. Now Judy and I were doing our own podcast for the book club the other day. And that's exactly was the scenario. There we were on Zoom with somebody in Melbourne, somebody in Lisbon in Portugal, authors, uh, and an author in, and, and, a, and, a, and a celebrity in, in, in London, and us in the middle, costing nothing. Yeah. Th those shoots, you know, until quite recently, would have cost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds to set up. And now we can all do it from our living room. So going back, when those things were, were new and groundbreaking, it was, it was thrilling. Um, so television always held a fantastic glamour for me, which I, I don't think it has today. I think it's because it's so fragmented and it's so available to all of us, as I've just said, and, and you know, we can all, as you said, we can all make our own programmes mm. now. Um, but back then, it was exclusive. And to be part of that club, to be part of that world, was something else. I remember my dad, who was a, a press officer for Ford, was invited to go on the money programme um, one, I think, around about 1970, about 1970 it was, on BBC Two, the BBC Two money programme, big deal. But I went with him. I was, a, I was about 16 at the time. I went with him, and I was absolutely transfixed by this world of television, a television studio with cameras and cameramen and going out live, you know, to, to the nation. It, it really had something. And I've still got that excitement, as I think you have about radio and, and, and TV still. It's still there in my DNA, you know. It, it was part of what formed me. And, yeah, I, when I found myself accidentally, like most people, I, accidentally, I tumbled into television from local radio and ended up on screen and being a reporter mostly for, for the next 10 years and then working with Judy, presenting the nightly show, and then we got... The, the this morning gig again by accident um i just felt like i was I, I'd, I'd won the lottery and even now i mean i was doing talk radio the next door to you um a couple of weeks ago and, and you know that's a live radio broadcast i still feel like i've kind of won the lottery judy listened to me a bit didn't you and you and you said i just sounded really happy well <laughs> sort of. you, you sounded in your natural element yeah. you, you sounded like you know a fish back in the water yeah. uh, you really love radio don't you, oh, you I adore really radio, it, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and and it means you can talk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Is if he if he's got a week of shows, Judy, is he quieter at home? Does he get it out of his system when he comes home? Um, I wouldn't say so. No, I mean, <laughs> wow. He, if he's got That's a week a lot of, of shows, words. <laughs> no, no, no. I know, no, no. But he still he comes home full of it. Then I mean, he comes home full of what's happened and who said what and what and everything. So. No, sadly, he doesn't come home all quiet and... <laughs> That's so <laughs> funny! Oh, my no. God! She's right, though. No, it's true. If, 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 I've, if, if I had a really interesting... Inter and, um, actually, the week that I did it, there was breaking news every day. Right. There was the, there was the, uh, the, the Labour Party press conference about anti-Semitism, you know. There was um, Corbyn being um, kicked, basically kicked out of the party. All happening as we were on air. Right. And as a journalist, you know, and as I said, I started as a hard news journalist. To me, that was to use that word again, that was catnip. I mean, to, to, to be actually able to broadcast and do interviews on a breaking news story, not something that was in that morning's paper, but it's happening while you're on air, um, is just, you know, 
a, such a joy to me. So yeah, when I come home, I'm full of it, and I'm wanna, I want to want to talk to Judy about it and, and tell he her what happened. He repeats all the interviews, and I say, I know, <laughs> I heard it, I know. <laughs> did he? Did he forever for one second ask you about your morning, Judy? No. <laughs> oh, unfair. No, unfair. it's not actually. I bet it's not unfair. <laughs> I know, Richard, I know, because I'm the same. I'm the, I am the person we're talking about. Same thing. <laughs> oh my goodness me! So much to talk about with you two. Um, you just, you just mentioned there. You, you got the, this morning job by accident. What, is, what does that mean? Well, yeah, I think what happened was ages and when was it? Nineteen eighty. Eighty eight. Um, for some reason, the, um, the ITV network, as it was then, you know, it's not like it is now. It was kind of, it was all sorts of uh, little kind of network councils, individuals representing. Well, it's individual t- TV is companies individual like Yorkshire TV? Television, yeah, Granada right. Television, that's right. And they, Television. they had a kind of network committee, that, and they all got together and decided that the uh, the tele schedules on ITV in the mornings were, were non-existent, um, and what we needed was to do sort of copy the American uh, model of having uh, sort of home shows, daytime shows in the morning that would cover... I remember what our, um, our old boss... Um, Steve, Steve Morrison called it the hidden agenda. The hidden agenda, yeah. And, and when I asked him what he meant by that, he said, oh, you know, uh, the only thing he could think of being a high-flying TV executive was, oh, you know, sort of ironing and stuff. Wow. <laughs> that was his... That'd go down well nowadays, wouldn't it? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Exactly, things have changed very much. But um, but they, they didn't... He didn't mean that, really. Just they hadn't... They found it hard to get their heads around it. Indeed, everybody <laughs> did. None, none, none of us knew what, you know, this morning show stuff would be about. Anyway, all the I think think about five of the big uh, TV stations all put tenders up for it, didn't it? Well, yes, they 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 were they're in the process of putting them together. We knew nothing about this, Judy and I. We were just pre- presenting the, the nightly news show. We knew nothing about this thing going on. Um, and then uh, ITV decided to do a telethon um, again on the American model, tw- a twenty-one hours of non-stop broadcasting. And Judy and I were doing it on our feet for twenty-one hours for IT for not well for ITV, but for Granada in the Granada region. And it was over a bank holiday. And this is what I mean about the accident. Um, the, the, the great and the good at Granada, the top executives, were putting the finishing touches to their plans for the pilot of this show that didn't even have a title but was going to be this morning in competition with all the other ITV companies like Central and Yorkshire Television and London, uh, uh, Thames Television, all of that, a competitive bid. And they got it all pretty much sorted out on this bank holiday. They'd all come in on their bank holiday and they're all kind of, you know, lying around on the floor draw, drawing graphs and making notes and they pretty much got the pilot put together in their heads but they hadn't decided who to present it. And they were talking about all the usual suspects, you know, Gloria Hunniford, da, 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 and all these names of, 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 you know, the great and the good on telly. Uh, and they weren't, no, no, not quite right, not quite right. And there suddenly they looked at the monitor on, in the corner of the office where Judy and I, with the sound down, were probably on our sort of 15th hour of presenting the telethon together. And somebody said, Richard and Judy, that they're used to presenting together. <laughs> Fuck, they're married. <laughs> They've got kids. Whoa. And it was like a huge light bulb moment. And we came off air knackered. And I remember that somebody, an exec, was waiting for us to say, can you come in in two days and do a pilot? And we said, no, we're going to bed and sleeping for a week. But that's what happened. And had we not been doing the telethon and had the television not been on in that room and that office at that moment in time, they would have asked, I don't know, Gloria Hunniford and I don't know, Alan somebody else to do it. And good old Gloria, why shouldn't they? No, I'm not saying they should have done it. I'm not just saying stuff that you Fern, pe- too. Pesky, Fern, pesky Fern Britain was, Fern Britain was in the frame, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Sorry. 
Um, so, so from that, let's talk about this again. So much to talk about. So, uh, first of all, you've mentioned you've mentioned OJ uh, and that's that particular episode. Give us two or three real sort of memorable moments fr- from from Rich and Judy, aka this morning, the Clintons. Well, we we interviewed them separately, didn't we? I would have loved to have interviewed them together. We've interviewed both of them, but both separately. Um, I think we kind of got more of an insight into Hillary. I think... She was very honest because we asked her about Bill's affairs and Jennifer Powers and stuff, and she was completely up for it. And I thought that was a fascinating interview. And and so did she, because when it was over, do you remember, it was live, she stood up and said how much she'd enjoyed it, that we'd been, you know, f- polite but fair, uh, firm but fair in the interview with the questions. And she was going to... And Bill was writing his autobiography at that time and she was going to tell him to do his, his his main UK interview with us and he did. And he did, yeah, yeah. But but funnily enough to me, that the thing that immediately sprang into my head when you asked that wasn't any of the kind of sort of the big interviews that we've done. It was when we launched the nativity um <laughs> on uh, on this morning we we decided i think it, it it was definitely our idea wasn't it yeah. that because you know we had little kids and and sort of school nativities and things we knew how in the run up to christmas how absolutely gripping it was and and how emotional it all was so we decided to have uh, a nativity um on this morning I, th- I don't know i don't know if it's still going it was certainly still going until a short while ago mm. but um and so we had kids up from all schools in the country. We kind of got them up in their little and uh, their, their, their their buses and with their teachers and everything. And Snowy the donkey. And we had Snowy the donkey, yeah. Who every, we, every year. Every year, and Snowy would wear a Santa hat, and we'd get <laughs> loads and loads of complaints from people who said that we were being incredibly cruel to Snowy um, for making <laughs> him hats. wear a Santa hat. <laughs> Although, I mean, you know, frankly, he looked gorgeous in it, and I'm sure he loved it. Um, but the, the the kids were just one. Wonderful. And I, I remember one particular one when Mary, halfway through the nativity, uh, burst into tears. I mean, she just couldn't stand it anymore, all these cameras and lights and people and everything. And she was only about three or four, and she burst into tears. And we had to go up and... Uh, you you and did. You went up and cuddled her. Gave up, yeah, I went up and gave her a cuddle. And, and, and it's to me, the thing about this morning was... Although I loved doing the big interviews. I loved interviewing Tom Hanks springs to mind because he's such a lovely man. But to me, all the kind of things that I enjoyed were really positive. They weren't kind of uh, the ones where I was uh, interviewing, um, uh, you know, Tony Blair or uh, Dolly Parton or, you know, anybody else. It was those community things that I absolutely loved. And I I loved the involvement of of ordinary people. And And that came through in the phone in as well. And I actually think that's what made this morning <clears throat> uh, take off as it did. I think there was that feeling that everybody who was watching it at home felt part of some kind of club. Um, they kind of felt it related to them and their lives. And if you like, the interviews, the big interviews, the celebrities and things, they were, they were icing on the cake. But I think the whole ethos of the show like um you know we had our own sort of this morning family our own agony on our own doctor and a, who and actually was our doctor, who actually Christine, was our, our doctor yeah our, our family <laughs> gp and that whole thing it, it did feel like um a, a very down home sort of and i suppose in that sense american uh, village like atmosphere didn't it and that's what i yeah. love the most about it but i think that's so revealing that you, you asked the big question you know what yeah. were the big big moments two standout moments. I immediately think of 
a woman who may have become president of the United States but didn't, and a guy who, her husband, who, who was, and big interviews. And Judy thinks quite quite rightly of the nativity. <laughs> and, I, and I don't disagree with her, you know, because I, I loved it too, but it didn't even cross my mind to say that. But there you've got the yin and yang, really, I guess, between Judy and I and, and the way we, we looked at the programme. I mean, the other thing I was going to say, which I don't know if you'd agree, Judy, would be I think this morning's finest hour in terms of reflecting what was happening right then and there in, in Britain, let alone around the world, live in, on a constantly changing landscape that particular week was the week that Diana was killed, um, or the week after Diana was killed in Paris. I remember we'd been off air because this morning used to take a summer break, it doesn't now, and we were due back on air the next day, September the 2nd, and it was Sunday morning, and still, I think we can all remember when we heard that Diana had been killed. There was a, a little knock on our bedroom door, and it was our son Jack, who was about 11 at the time, who came in and just said, he said, wake up, Diana's dead. And we actually thought he said, Diane's dead, and she was our editor on this morning at the time. <laughs> we said, what? don't be ridiculous. Said, what do you mean, Diane? And then he explained, and we ran down and put the telly on, and we all saw the pictures. Well, we had conference after conference that afternoon because, you know, our, our, we're back from the summer show, the big, you know, welcome back to the series show the next day went out the window. And we figured that we'd probably do maybe 50% of the next day's show on Diana and all the associated issues as they came up. Well, we did the whole show, obviously. And then we thought maybe we'd do half the show the next day on Diana. But the story changed overnight and then it became, well, where's the royal family and why hasn't the Queen come down? Why isn't the flag flying above Buckingham Palace? And basically, Monday to Friday that week, I think the Daily Mail, in one of its nicer moments, described this morning as the litmus paper for the country that week because we were reflecting the way people were grieving, the way that their, their opinions and their mood was changing, the anger that began to build up towards the royal family, which finally was defused by the Queen coming down to London, which we reported and covered and all the rest of it, and her, her speech, which, which saved the situation on that Friday. Um, that, that was an, a roller coaster of a week in terms of emotion and breaking news and the, con the British constitution and, and the relationship that the British had with the royal family and, and the grief following Diana's death, which we felt, you know, genuinely felt grief-stricken that she'd died. Um, and I think, for me, that was this morning's finest hour in terms of its um, its ability to be human but journalistic at the same time. Because, yeah. obviously, Judy and I are journalists, mm. and since then, the programme hasn't had journalists as presenters. That doesn't, it doesn't mean it's, that makes it any, any less of a force, but it's different. And we were able, because we were journalists and we'd done years in, of television news, we were able to adapt to that. And I'd say, you know, if, 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 if as I float from... Shuffle off this mortal coil, and I'm thinking back. That would be the week that I would sort of. That would be my last memory of, of this morning. What's your take on that week, Judy? Very, um, oh, very emotional. It, it sort of seems very confused now. Um, it was, it, it, as Richard said, it was completely unscripted. We just basically opened the the, the phones, and uh, um, and it felt again just totally reactive. It felt as if we were. Um, involved in 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 everybody else's feelings um on a completely different level like i was talking about the, the nativity we were dealing with the community again mm. obviously this was a another huge uh, a, a massive community compared with with, with the nativity but it, it felt that's what it felt like it felt like it was being led by what people thought and i think that i think that that Again, it was this morning at its best um, because people did feel 
but it was a, a, if you like, a kind of vessel for what they were feeling. Um, we just kind of were a channel for them to put their views on air. And I, I, I very much appreciated that. It was huge. I don't know. How old were you then, Chris, when that happened? Nin- 97. 97. So I'd have been 31. I remember it because Danny Baker um, left me the message on my phone. Um, we were uh. living in Notting Hill at the time. Went out on Saturday night, woke up early uh, Sunday morning. Actually, didn't didn't leave a message. He phoned me up and... Uh, mm. And yeah. I was with Susie at the time, Susie Applin, and uh, that's yeah. how we found out. And the first thing I did was I got on my motorbike, bizarrely, and went to Kensington Palace and uh, laid oh. some flowers. Did you? Did yeah. you? Was... We we went to Kensington Palace as well, not that day, but 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 later. And my remember, mother was. Do you remember the my... sea, the flowers? Yeah. Oh, it's extraordinary. Extraordinary, extraordinary. We took my mother; she was living with us then, um, and uh, and we took her and every, and it was just. It was just unbelievable. And I remember reading um, a, a rather crusty newspaper. I can't remember which one of the broadsheets it was. I remember reading a leading article or a, um, a, a major comment piece saying that they could not understand what was going on. Yeah. Uh, this mass, what they called it, this mass hysteria over Diana's death. And they said, and this is, you know, by people who uh, who are grieving, ridiculously grieving for someone they never even met or knew. And I thought that person just doesn't understand what life's about. And it doesn't doesn't understand why you know figures figureheads like the queen if you like or royalty we never know them but they stand for something in our lives it's a bit like reading you know it's a bit like reading a great book you read into those people's lives uh, and you draw parallels with your own however inaccurate they may be but you do i mean they they shed light on your own on your own life um and that's why everyone was grieving because they knew diana for all her all her faults. Uh, they knew her as um, a woman who had a very unhappy time, and more than anything else, was a mother of these two gorgeous little boys. And that's why, you know, certainly I think most of our lot on on this morning, that our viewers then uh, were grieving about her. It was the two little boys. I have to say, though, I, if we'd known then what we are beginning to learn now about what happened over that Panorama interview that Diana gave two years earlier. And now we know that, I mean, because the BBC have admitted it, that that Martin Bashir, who did the interview, of course, forged these bank statements and showed them to to Diana's brother, Earl Spencer, uh, which which made it look as if, and and, and they were were brilliant forgeries, it made it look as if uh, Diana's confidants were selling stories about her to the the media and being paid for it, big sums of money, thousands of pounds, and also um, giving information about her to, to the security services. And Diana was paranoid enough um, before that little scam came along. And then when Spencer was, was convinced by these, these documents, he, and he was her gatekeeper, and he introduced Bashir to Diana, and then he poured this... And this has come from Earl Spencer, because he made notes at the time. He poured this poison into Diana's... Poor Diana's ears about, about how she was being betrayed left, right and centre, all sorts of wild allegations, mad allegations, uh, some of them involving Prince Charles, some involving murder plots that, that were in, in play, some saying that the Queen was going to abdicate within six months and Diana's position would be untenable, etc., etc., etc. And it was, it was a resu- direct result of that... That the and the that she gave the interview and the Queen ordered Charles and Diana to divorce. So she did, and she lost her royal protection and she lost her royal drivers and she wound up in Paris with a drunk chauffeur um, being killed in the Alma Tunnel. And none of that would have happened. Well, might have. I would. I would know. You know, free speech and fair comment. I believe completely that none of that would have happened 
if she hadn't been duped into giving an interview. Uh, I, I think one, I think she probably would have given an interview to somebody and, and probably would have said many of the things that she said. But I don't think she would have her head would have been would have been messed in the way that it was because she saw those statements, the bank statements, and she was convinced that these innocent people were betraying her, and they weren't, and it affected her big time. And it, and and it wound, and you know, all events have causes. And, uh, and I, I see a line of dominoes tinkling down and ending in that tragedy. And I think that's why there's so much anger now at the BBC in, in this context and, the, and what appeared to be, the year after the, the, the documentary went out, the cover-up, um, you know, to, to say nothing to see here. Oh, no, those bank statements weren't, weren't particularly relevant and he didn't show them to anybody. Yes, he did. He showed them to Earl Spencer. Um, uh, uh, so we can brush it under the carpet. Uh, and... To me, it's very analogous to Watergate. You know, it's not really the the original sin; it's the cover up that that does for people. And I'm going to be very interested to see this BBC inquiry or this independent inquiry into what went on. So, as journalists, both of you, I mean, you know, would I have to caveat what you've just said with with you know allegedly, or because that, that's Earl Spencer's point of view, and it's not it's anecdotal from you, Rich, even though you know him. What what what, would, what might I have to say about that? Well, nothing about the bank statements because the BBC have admitted that that, that they existed. Um, right. uh, Earl Spencer has, has 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 written extensively in the Daily Mail about this and 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 said that he kept because he's he's a journalist he kept contemporaneous notes of all these conversations with Bashir and no one's threatened to sue him. I mean, you know, he's. he's... I think I think basically the uh, it, it, I don't think the facts are in question. I think maybe your supposition of what might have happened afterwards. Uh, had that interview not happened, <clears throat> which is that basically, um, you know, her life would have been much more stable and maybe she wouldn't um, have ended up as she did. I think that maybe needs a caveat because that's something we just don't know. No, it's an opinion, but and and but that well anyway, it's up to Chris. Cut it out if you want. No, it's no, fine, I did, but, no, no. But I'm having it. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I'm not seeking advice from an editorial point of view. I'm just having a conversation with you about no, it. No, I see. Well, I I, th I think it's. I think it comes under the the covering of fair comment. Um, I think that Earl Spencer's a credible witness. I think if he says uh, and he has a legal team to back him up, if he says that he's got uh, detailed notes of these allegations that that Bashir made to his sister, um, and the BBC have already admitted that the that the the, uh, the bank. The forged bank statements were there. I mean, I, I've read pieces in, in the papers over the weekend that say that the fraud squad should be called in because this was this was a fraud. This was a forgery uh, for gain. Um, so I think the BBC is in a very very difficult position on this. And I think the sooner they hold their hands up and say what really happened back then, um, the, the better for them. And I love the BBC. I'm not anti BBC. I think that it's a terrific institution. But I think they've caught a bad cold on this. And I think the sooner they they learn from what happened with Watergate and hold their hands up and, and stop prevaricating. For example, they're saying that 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 Bashir can't can't comment on on these allegations because he's he's recovering from COVID and an open heart surgery, which he is. But he he's been photographed out shopping for wine and and, and a takeaway meal. You know, he's <laughs> so he's hardly at death's door. And and that's all part of this kind of attempt to delay and to obfuscate and to buy time and they shouldn't be doing it they should be well to be fair to the new dg he has actually commissioned an independent inquiry so i suppose i suppose there has been some movement on that all right let's um change tack you mentioned wine let's do that let's go to wine <laughs> i think i think we need we need a conversation about wine now so during uh the your your amazing reign um call it what you will on, on uh, daytime tv here in the uk you launched two very successful clubs one was the rich new book club and um, one watched the rich and judy wine club which did you personally enjoy most <laughs> 
to be, I, I know the obvious answer would be wine, <laughs> but it's books, it? Of course it is, wine! No, the, 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 the book club we were very personally involved with and um, the wine club we weren't really, we just no. sort of turned up. <laughs> uh, that was run by uh, wine experts and we most definitely weren't. So, uh, but the books is something different. I mean, you know, the books that we... Uh, everybody can be an expert on books if they love reading. It's as simple as that. Uh, which uh, is the book club? Is, does the wine is the wine club still going? I've got no oh, idea. Oh, I don't think so. I doubt no. it because that was when we were doing the Channel that was Four Channel, show. Channel Four it? thing. Yeah. It's time for a um, Renaissance. And that, and, <laughs> Come on, I'm sure, I'm sure they will. Room for a small one. <laughs> the Rich and Judy and Evans Wine Club. Oh, <laughs> that'll work. So the podcast, you know, is about the 10th anniversary of uh, Rich and Judy of the Book Club. Um, so, how have you enjoyed the world of podcasting from a, from a hosting point of view? <laughs> really, really enjoyed it. I mean, didn't know what to... I mean, podcasting was sort of something which had kind of crept into my consciousness. I mean, I knew that there were, suddenly it was a phenomenon and suddenly um, it had kind of appeared and I'd, I'd never listened to any. And when, uh, I must say, our, our dear son, Jack, who is a, uh, a sort of media genius at the moment, <laughs> suggested that uh, we kind of relaunched our own book club. Our, our, our book club podcast had not really been a podcast, as we have come to know it. It was just we interviewed the authors. Um, so there were no real... And we interviewed the authors separately and we interviewed them about their books, which was fine and everything. A bit dry, but wasn't it? A bit dry. And, and, and we never really were able to... Um, Go skate around it, you know, which is the which is the wonderful thing about a podcast. You can you can ask a question about a book or someone writing a book, and and the next thing you know, you know, you're talking about sort of where they went on summer holiday, exactly, or, or lockdown and, and, and all that yeah. kind of thing. And it was, and so we decided to do it that way, and I've absolutely loved it because you know it's it's kind of quite pure. It's very simple, um, and you just you just chat, and you don't have to worry about all the other things. I mean, I know when you, you've done loads of telly, Chris, you know, you, you've always got to worry about what the direct, you've got the director in your ear about whether the cameras are getting the right shot and whether you're sitting in the right place or your interview ears or sort of what. And it's fantastic to feel completely on your own, you know, or mm. just with the person you're with, um, with nothing to interfere with the conversation. And it's, it's, it's sort of it's sort of like a chat show, but without without too, without boundaries. So we, the, the format is, is is incredibly simple. We so we start off talking to the celeb of of that particular podcast, and we've had people like Judge Rinder, uh, Gabby Logan, um, Annie Mack. You know, we've had all sorts of totally different people who've read the two books that we're going to discuss. We do two books per podcast out of this list of twelve that, that we've picked to celebrate. You know, the last ten years of the, the, the Richard and Judy Book Club with W. H. Smith. Nothing to do with Channel Four. Um, so we'll have a chat with with a celeb. Just as we're talking now, it could be about anything. You know, there's no real agenda. Obviously, there might be a plug for their new play or TV show, whatever. But, you know, a typical showbiz celebby chat. And then we'll bring in the two authors who've been kind of waiting in the wings. Um, and then we kick it around. And we don't necessarily talk about the books for another five or ten minutes. And then we'll get to the book, and we'll, the two books, and, and we'll talk about the, the plot and what makes it great and why we picked it. And the celeb will chip in and say why they enjoyed it and how much they enjoyed it and blah, blah. And then we're off again, probably, as I say, talking about something completely different. Um, and we run it for about, what, 40 minutes, Judy? 45 minutes, about three quarters of an hour. And we just cover so much ground. So, it's, you know, that's the format. And we, and we do it on Zoom, so you know, we, we've got visuals as well. Um, and it's just... every we've done, we've done five out of the six now. 
Uh, yeah. We've done five out of them. They've got one more to go. And every single time, I'm so pleased for Judy about this because I like, you know, I want them to enjoy what we do together and, and not feel it's... <laughs> well, I do. I don't want you to feel it's a burden. And ev every time we finish... Because, well, because I enjoy it more than you. I, I know that. And I'm, that, that introduces but unfairness. she loves um, you. No, yeah, but, but what I was going to say was every single time we've... we've clicked off Zoom at the end of, of, of recording a podcast, Judy said to me, I really enjoyed that. Mm. And that's, that's a great sign. That's a, it's, and, that, it's, well, and it's also it's a sign of, that they are listenable. You know, if, you, if you've enjoyed it... Anybody will anybody enjoy, enjoy it. Anybody will enjoy it. <laughs> no, but it's because it's more real, isn't it, Judy? That's yes. why you like it. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, yes, only one more to go. Um, some cracking guesses, you say. Um, what happens after episode six when people want more? We go, well, back to, we go back to the regular podcast, exactly the same format, but uh, it'll be, we'll, instead of talking about the books from the last ten years, it'll be on the next six which come into the shops in February and then the six that come into the, to the shops in the summer. Because we, we do six every quarter, so six in the spring, six in the summer, six in the autumn and six in the, the winter. But we're going to do, yeah, we start those, God, I can't remember, we, we start those only about a week or so after we finish the uh, the anniversary ones. Um, and that should be really good because they're very immediate books um, and a lot, a lot of them, I think, that the six that we've chosen, they are very, very... Um, very timely, oddly enough. Um, and uh, we, we're doing it the same way. We're, we're having celebrities to chat. So it'll just be... The book will be a kind of um, a sort of... A reason a basis, to get together. Really. Yeah, a raison yeah, d'etre. Just yeah. a raison d'etre to have a chat, uh, which will involve books and life, hopefully. But it seems to work because the, the, the old podcast that we did, uh, as Judy said, that they weren't really podcasts. They were very straight. They didn't feature in the podcast charts at all. But since we launched this one, it's, um, it's what, got to, what, number six? It's done really well. Good for you. Can we go back to um, the winter of... This morning, and that's a chronological winter, not a, temp a temporal winter. <laughs> but um, and uh, your decision to go to Channel Four. So mm. how did that ha how did that come about? First of all, how did that question even sort of uh, put its head above the parapet? And then, what discussions did you have um, with whom who were close to you? And was there a tipping point conversation between the two of you to, to mm. decide to leave? Because it was such a big big deal, big story, big everything at the time. Yeah. Well, we we'd been unhappy at this morning for uh, what a year or so yeah. we felt that um there was a certain kind of they'd recruited a new um head of daytime head of daytime uh and we she she, she i think she felt she had a, a brief really to uh change daytime and seemed to me seemed to us one of one of her major briefs was to change us i think they thought we were a bit too heavily identified with the program i think they thought that we were uh, you know, if we both fell under a bus, as the phrase goes, the next day, this morning might not survive. So their brief was basically to protect the programme um, against our sort of influence on it, I suppose. And yes, the, it, the, we, it became clear because our editors and the people that, we, that we, we loved on this morning were picking up this vibe and they were telling us, they were being completely frank with us, it became clear that there was an actual policy being, being un, unfolded um, and, it, and the brief had been given to this, to this, this person, this woman, that, that we had to slowly but surely have our, if you like, our grip on the programme, which was actually a loving embrace, had to have it slowly... Pull, pull back, so yeah. that bit by bit we we would become less important to the identity of this show, and you know that old phrase, the format would stand on its own two feet, which is all well and good, but 
sorry, we kind of were this morning. We built it, you know, um, we, we knew how it worked. The ratings were sky high. There was no problem there. You know, it wasn't as if the show was beginning to fail or something or needed a, you know, sh a shot of blood. It was political. It was, it was um, you know, so many people in television, broadcasters, and I'm sure you've got your own stories to tell, Chris, um, sometimes things go wrong because of the politics. Nothing to do with programme making, nothing to do with the form or the art um, of, of broadcasting. It's the backdoor politics. And there was this sort of fear, as Judy said, that if, 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 if we were to go, or if we were to, as you say, fall under a bus, um, the, the, at that point, the show might not survive. So we had to be kind of almost semi-taken off it. And weird I, things were coming. Do you remember the phone-in suggestion? Yes, they suggested that our, we had a phone-in, which was a major feature of the show every day, uh, which we loved. Um, but they decided, uh, the powers that be, that they didn't want us to take the phone-in. They wanted the phone-in to be taken by the experts. So, for example, if we had a, a phone-in, a medical phone-in about health, obviously, um, the doctor uh, would take the phone-in and we wouldn't be there. You know, it would just... In, in little things like that. And it completely changed for us the enjoyment of the show that we had, uh, which we loved it. it we, and we felt very puzzled. Um, and, and cross. And cross. Uh, and probably should have taken it higher than we sh than we did. We didn't actually, in fact, you know, our, again, our, I think our chief executive at the time was was it? Uh, it was Steve, Steve Morrison. It was Steve, and he was horrified when we finally said we were leaving. And he and we tried to explain to him what had been happening on this morning. And he said, "But why didn't you come to me?" Mm. Um, and I actually very much now regret that we didn't but on the other hand we'd kind of we we kind of were sort of of the generation that you sort of feel you ought to sort it out yourself you Very know true. you, you yeah. don't you don't go moaning to the headmaster yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't true. go say please sir they're bullying me you don't do that you, you sort it yourself and to be fair and to be fair to the program the, the the then editor and the exec producers and stuff were totally in our corner they thought this was nonsense as well and they held the line and we we, we didn't withdraw from the phone and we carried on doing the it was the network center it was nothing to do with granada and it was nothing to do with the program it was the network it was, it was, it was political. Mm. And actually, it, it made us very cross because we knew that we were working just as hard as ever. We took the show seriously. We didn't take ourselves seriously. We weren't being pompous and sort of power-crazed about it. We just thought it was stupid. Yeah. Um, I remember having one conversation with uh, this, this, this new person who, uh, who I think had, had a background in, in women's magazines, hadn't she? Marketing. 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 And, 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 said that she, and, and told us that, that, that she now wanted all of our items on the show, interviews, whatever, to be cut in length by 7%, which was a really odd, arbitrary figure, and we said, why? And she said, because magazine research had shown that, that, that women's attention span, as if it was only women that watched the show anyway, but um, women's attention span was falling, and, they, and, and it was articles and, and features in magazines could benefit from being cut by 7%, so mm. the same principle would apply to this morning. It was loony. It was, non I mean, it, it was just nonsense. It was just, potty. It was just it nonsense. It, it didn't make any, uh, any televisual sense at all. So as all that was going on, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, this industry leaks like a sieve, and word got out within the industry that, that we were being mucked about and we weren't very happy, and Channel 4 heard a whisper of this, and they were looking for a new... Um, what they call shoulder peak show, um, going out from daytime into peak time, five till six. They had the slot, they had the budget, and they came to us. And frankly, Chris, they made us an offer we couldn't refuse. Right. It would have been insane to say no to well, it. Well, life-changing. Um, yeah, oh, absolutely. It was... I mean, we were doing fine, but it was... It was what? You, you really want to give us that? I think they call it um, fuck you money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, money... We'd never really... We loved doing the show. Money's never been a huge 
sort of factor for us, but we love doing this morning and everything. But we were homegrown presenters. You know, we both worked for Granada all our most of our sort of lives, and 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 we as as homegrown presenters who'd kind of landed in this amazingly lucky stroke. We we landed doing this morning network. Um, I think they still thought of us as homegrown yes. presenters. Really, uh, they certainly didn't think of us as as being people who should be paid a lot of money. <laughs> and we didn't. I, I didn't bother that. And we did. We did perfectly well i'm not complaining about it but uh, we when when uh, when channel four uh, sort of offered us what they offered us well, and the production company <laughs> i love obviously. the fact you're, not, like, you're just trying to stop yourself from saying the figure when they offered us <laughs> what they offered us <laughs> to be absolutely honest i can't remember richard will though but I'm... <laughs> well, it was, i'll tell you what it was exactly double what we were getting on this yeah. morning so it was a kind of no-brainer right. given given i think had we been happy on this morning it might have made us go to, to itv and say look we've had a really good offer can you can you bump bump us up a bit you know everyone plays that game um but because we were increasingly fed up um it just seemed like the moment and then you tell yourself that as you said earlier in this chat you know we'd done this morning for 13 years maybe it was time for a change maybe we did need a new challenge so we did it and we did it very secretly and we had a, a, a literally a one-day negotiation with the channel four lawyers which we conducted ourselves we did it uh, alone and the production company and the production company yes um and we basically signed the deal at midnight and made a press announcement the next day and uh, understandably granada went potty um and yeah it was, it was a big story and actually it nearly didn't pay off because we we, we finished our, t our contract on this morning they, they they let us stay and we said goodbye that summer we had a break and then we launched i think it was in again in october of that year uh 2006 and the show very nearly didn't didn't work it for the first two or three months we couldn't quite get the format right it was, it was shorter than this morning so we had timing issues and we weren't quite getting the content and the tone and all of that right. And the ratings were okay, but they weren't what we were being paid for. And there was an increasing press campaign again to say Richard and Judy have failed, it's, this show should be axed, it'll be off the air by Christmas. Uh, but we had support from, from the, the head of the channel at the time, he, he kept his nerve, thank God. And suddenly, I, I think it was about 10, 12 weeks in, we suddenly, we, we made a few tweaks and it suddenly took off. And then it was the most highly rated show for, for, the, for the channel across the whole 24 hours of broadcasting. It used to get number two, number three for the next eight years. So I must we say just though, made Chris, it. I must say though, Chris, that during our last months that we worked on this morning, having handed in our resignation and we, we but we still had sort of to carry on until the end of that uh, year. I know we, what you're going to say. Yeah, we came off air in June or something or July, July or something. July, yeah. Uh, but you know, and 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 the network was very kind of because they knew we were going, and and they weren't happy about it, and they were very kind of tense and edgy suspicious about it. Suspicious that we might and, play um, tricks. On a certain, <laughs> it was my birthday. It was May the sixteenth, and unknown to me, you had been invited onto the program <laughs> onto this morning to do me a happy birthday, a Tarzanogram, a strippogram. Well, no, it's you. No, you were a Tarzan. It's pretty much a stripper. You were a Tarzan, weren't you? And you came on, and I had no idea. But time had been built in, and you came in, and actually nobody else had any idea either. That is the, the powers well, that we be. We didn't know how far you were going to go, Chris. Is is what you're saying? Oh, I didn't. I, no, no, I, but nobody. He basically, you were meant to come on and do a Tarzanogram, oh. and your your genitalia was were, were covered by balloons. Basically, that that, that was that was the gag. No, it, it wasn't. A little oh, bit more right. than that. Would take a lot to see it. Um, yes, it was. And and you invited, on air, you invited Judy to come and puncture one of the balloons mm -hmm. with her teeth. Mm -hmm. And being a good sport 
and thinking, well, all we find, Julie did, and the balloon duly went pop. And you then, uh, all I can do is report what happened. You then released some foam from, uh, it was obviously shaving foam, from uh, located somewhere near your groin. And we mm. all know what that was meant to imply. And that's what, and then we went off air. Um, and it was, a, you know, it, was a bit, it, it went a little bit far, but it was, it was fine. We were frog-marched to, <laughs> to, to the CEO of, of ITV's Up office. Up to the sixth floor. Straight away. Straight away. Because they thought that, we, that you and we were in league to mm. basically embarrass the programme and do the programme damage because we were leaving, as if we would, uh, because we were going to Channel 4. And we had to go in there and explain to them and call the editor in as, as, as a witness to say, we didn't know you were going to do that. Judy had no idea. And in the end, they, they calmed down. And, so, and, so Chris, well, it's about yeah. time we told them the truth. We hatched the plot in the pub the night before. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, you really lost the sack. I must admit, Sorry. it was really. I, I'm in in the meeting that we had afterwards. I, even at the time, I was absolutely laughing so much. <laughs> I just couldn't I, because it was just so funny. It was just you, oh. you know, and it was just you and being. And for them to sort of somehow think we'd used you as a kind of a Trojan horse <laughs> yeah. to get to get inside. I was the, the rich and Judy pawn. Oh my <laughs> goodness me! But actually, forgive, I think forgive that was the a, expression. Yeah, I think I think that was a sort of turning point, uh, uh, Granada. We had a month or two to go because, as you say, that was in May. I think then they realised that that we loved the programme still. Mm. I mean, the fact that we were leaving was a political issue, um, uh, but we still loved it. We adored it. We were loyal to it. We'd never do anything to harm it yeah. at all. And and I think that meeting established that because we said that to them. We said, "Look, for God's sake, you've got this so wrong." And we and I think it was it kind of cleared the air, didn't it? Well, yes, up to a yeah. point, Lord Copper. <laughs> so so what it? you're basically saying is thank you, Chris. Yes, exactly. Yeah, thank exactly, you, Chris. Chris. Perfect. And it was a lovely birthday present. <laughs> <laughs> because that was my old act, so I wasn't doing anything... Because what, what would have happened if you'd have carried on is in yeah. the foam was a raw sausage. Yeah, oh, no, we got the sausage. Oh, we got the sausage, yeah. We got, we Did we get that far? I can't it remember. Was a but it, it was a chipolata, I think. <laughs> I have no idea. It's all going quiet least, over here. <laughs> there was definitely a sausage. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Oh, it's so funny, because I, so I, I used to love coming on the show. I mean, I, when you were talking about the nativity, you invited me on one of those as well. And I, you know, oh, did we? Yeah, yeah. and I, I said, is it next Tuesday? They said, I said, it's nativity day. And they said, yeah. It's like, oh, wow. Oh. And the snow was there. It was just, it was so cool. And those studios, you know, eventually the ones in London, they, was, they were so yeah. cool, weren't they? They yeah. were, yeah, on the South Bank. They were the so thing cool. about the nativity was we, we did it across the week, so there were five of them. We told the whole nativity story oh, episode no, at a time. No. That, that, so you would have come on probably, if you came on on Tuesday, uh, it would probably be the no room at the inn bit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know idea. No oh, idea. But, it was uh, lovely. Great news. So, so, um, so then you're on Channel 4, a whole different world, I'm imagining, you know, yeah. and I remember the, those first few weeks. Can you, can you remember a decision? You said, there were, you know, you made a few tweaks. Um, what, what did you change specifically? Because it must have been more than a tweak. I can't remember. Um, but, but you're right, because it did, it did sort of pivot and just became... Because, you know, usually if you're on the air that long, you know... 10 to 12 weeks, five days a week, and it's not working, it's not going to come back to you, you know. But, no. but no. You're, what, what happened? The thing is that I think the reason we had we were shaky in the start was because everyone was frightened. They, I don't, we weren't frightened, but I think everybody around us was frightened that it was going to be like this morning. Mm. And again, it was political. Um, I think that the execs and everything were worried that they would be accused. You know, Channel 4's got a kind of 
cool, sort of fairly cool reputation. Um, it did then, and uh, and ITV hasn't. <laughs> well, you know, it's great, but it's not cool. Um, and they thought that would IT. It was really more a sort of would ITV. Data, an ITV daytime program transplant into onto Cool Channel Four, and because of that, they were frightened of it being perceived as this morning Mark Two with yeah. us. So they 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 interfered. They interfered again. They interfered a lot with the format and guests and the kind of things we should do. And I think in the end, I don't remember a pivotal conversation in particular. But I think what happened in the end was that we sort of prevailed and said, look, this is what we do the best. I think we what, just do it this way. From, and, it's and a long... It's a, sorry, Judy, go on. No, and, 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 and the format turned because everybody relaxed, uh, including, crucially, us. I think, as, as I remember it, um, it, things came to a head. All the executives who were so excited when we signed uh, were then... You know what it's like in television. When things don't work, everybody runs a mile, you know. N nothing to do with me, Gov. I, I, I didn't commission this. And I think after the first sort of t eight to ten weeks, I think a lot of the interference that we were getting died away, not because they decided to leave us alone, but because they were frightened of, 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 of being involved in a show that was about to crash and burn, you know. So they withdrew. And I, I vividly remember that we had tremendous support from Tim Gardham, who was the head of the channel at the time. And we used to go and have kind of little private crisis meetings with him on the way into work. Uh, we used to go and have uh, coffee at the Savoy, just, just me and Judy and him, no one else. And he would give us lots of support and be saying, don't worry, it's going to come good. I know this show's going to work and we talk it through. And I remember at around the time that all these other, his, his, his juniors, began to withdraw from the equation. I remember we went to have a coffee with him and we were on two, three, four pages of that morning's Daily Mail saying that we were definitely getting the word from Channel 4 was it, it hadn't worked and we were toast and we'd be gone by, by, by Christmas and that was the end of our careers. And I can still see this scene. We, we sat down and we knew this article had appeared and we, we were so embarrassed by it, you know, to be sitting with the head of the channel and his presenters being described like this. And he had, he had the Daily Mail with him and we thought, oh, no, this is it. He's going to give us the axe. And we sat down and he held it. He said, have you seen this? And we said, yeah. And he said, and he... Bang! He's a very, very um, articulate and erudite man, Tim Gardham. He's now he's now an academic in Oxford, and he banged the table, and all the coffee cups jumped, and everybody else having coffee turned around, and he said, "I am fucked if I will be told what to do by the editor of the Daily Mail. Carry on and do it your way." Uh, it was great. It was a fantastic endorsement. And it seems to me that was at about the time that they left us alone and we started to do it our way and just come up, you know, get rid of our ideas that we knew wouldn't work and do things that we knew would work. And actually, by Christmas, the ratings started to soar and then that was it. We'd never looked back. We had seven, eight years of, uh, of happiness, actually. It was, it was never quite as romantic, I suppose, professionally as this morning was. But it was fun, wasn't it? Oh, it was a lot of fun, yeah. But it, it, it was different. I mean, it... You know, it was sort of five o'clock in the evening. You, there was a very subtle uh, difference of uh, feel about it. There had to be. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, it I, you know, had a lovely time. Remember you say we pay? Oh, God, yeah. That I remember a, doing that. such a good I remember game. doing that with Tony Blair. And he was such a when he, <laughs> I was, he was such a good sport. <laughs> he was. Oh God! You remember that game, Chris, where you had a picture behind you? No, of course I remember it. It was also yeah, the, yeah. the point of a lot of controversy for a while. Why? Wasn't it? Was, I don't yes, that. it was. Why? Tell me why. Because remember. there was. Don't you remember? There was like they found out 
that somehow the the phone calls were uh, you were still asking for phone calls. Yeah, that's right. When, when callers and intellectuals oh, play, that's right. It was so a big, it was huge at the time. That story. I'd yeah. forgotten that. So in other words, after we selected a player, yeah, the, 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 they were still accepting paid for calls. Yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten that because it, it, it was an exterior company. It was nothing yeah. to do with us. But the, the, they'd obviously there was a huge problem with this exterior company. But I do remember that because we'd gone. <laughs> We'd gone away for the weekend. <laughs> We'd gone uh, to Suffolk for the weekend and we were staying at uh, the Swan Hotel in Lavenham. Mm. Do you remember? We'd, yeah, we'd gone to yeah. see some friends down there and we were staying at the Swan... Uh, not Lavenham, what am I talking about? We are staying at the Swan in... Um, oh... Uh, On the coast? Yes, um, su uh, Suffolk, you know. Uh, <laughs> I love South it. Southwell. Sorry, can Southwell. I just say, when, when one member of a couple can't remember... As something they're trying to remember. They get really angry at the other member of the couple. Oh, come on, you know what the name of it. It's like, well, you don't, so shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was well, a South World. It was South World. South was beautiful, it by was... the way. Go to, everybody yeah, go to gorgeous. South World. Gorgeous. Absolutely. Gorgeous, gorgeous mm. place. And we were staying at the Swamp, having this lovely weekend, and we got... <laughs> we got up on Sunday morning to go downstairs for breakfast and all the newspapers were kind of laid out on a table, neatly folded, as they always are in these nice hotels. And on the top, well, on most of them, but the Sunday Times was kind of on the top. And what was... what? what it said something like, Richard... The, the head, this is the headline on the front page of, of the Sunday Times. Richard and Judy in police probe That's or right. something yeah. like that. In police probe. <laughs> What? And I, what? This is the first we'd heard of it. First we'd heard of it. <laughs> and it was just that we went into the dining room to have breakfast and all these other hotel guests were sitting in the dining room eating their breakfast, all reading the Sunday <laughs> Times, all with this headline yeah. glaring at yeah. us. See, those, know, two, those two in the corner there, they're being probed. <laughs> look, at, look at the way they're sitting. <laughs> I know, but it, and then it kind of extended to, to it. It sort of extended to an awful lot of other phone things as well. Apparently, it'd been some general kind of phone yes, it, scam. It, it rippled out, didn't it? It, it, to other shows, it yeah. even involved poor old Anton Deck. Quite right. Quite the way it was discovered is quite right at the time. So you mentioned Tony yeah. Blair there, and you. Uh, by the way, you say WePay was a great format. We should bring it. Up. <laughs> um, it was apart, apart from the the probing. But yeah. um, <laughs> but you mentioned Tony Blair there. Now, you know, as a couple of influence for years and years and years, and you still are, were you ever lobbied by anyone? No, I don't think no? so. No? Um, I don't remember I've that been asked that question before quite recently, actually. I can't remember where. Um, no. Uh, I, and I, I'm just trying to think why that wouldn't have happened. Uh, possibly because, because, to, because to do that might have exposed the person to us outing them for doing it? I don't know. No, I'm, no but lobbying, you, lobbying can be legal, it can be friendly. It can yes, of be, course, don't yeah. you? You mean sort of trying to recruit us to I, some particular no, no, cause? No, not, not nowhere near that far. But, you know, have you, been, have you felt like you've been gently lobbied? Were you, for example, were you invited to dinner at Chequers? Yes. yes. Uh, and I'll give you a, a, a kind of an antithesis to, to being lobbied. Um, yeah, we went to Chequers a couple of times and, and we went to number 10 too, just, just for chats and, you know, catch-ups and all the rest of it. And we got to know Tony and Cherie quite well. And I remember the last time we went to Chequers was... Uh, it was about three weeks after the invasion of Iraq. 
uh, on the basis that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. And it was about three weeks after the fall of Baghdad, and these weapons hadn't, hadn't been found. And it was beginning to become a story. Up until then, everyone had believed that the weapons were there and, 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 and they'd be found in silos and all the rest of it, but they hadn't been. And the headlines were starting to hit. It was like, well, where are they? We, did we go to war on a lie? Is this true? Where are the weapons? And we went to check as it was a Saturday night, and uh, we were shown into the, to the drawing room, and there were probably about 12 people there, and Tony and Shuri were in the middle, and we walked across and shook hands. And one of us, I can't remember whether it was Judy or me, one of us said straight away, well, where are they? Um, and I've never forgotten the answer. I think Shuri said, you mean the WMDs? We said, yeah, where are they? And she said, oh, no, Blair said, He's hidden them. He said, they'll be under the sand somewhere. He said, they're, they're definitely there. We will find them. We're, ke we're keeping a cool nerve here because we, we know that he had them. And he's just hidden them rather better than, than we thought. We probably should have gone in earlier. To which Cherie said, well, either that, she said, or the American and British uh, uh, secret services um, are rubbish at the job because it was them that, that told us that they were there. So they were very confident. Uh, three weeks after the invasion, that uh, that the weapons were there, but I didn't feel we were being lobbied at all. I mean, we we raised it, um, you know, off off the bat because it was it was a big story. It was a straight question. So I I always felt that on that level, the, the relationship was an honest and sort of open one, really. So with the clubs, with the book club and the wine club. Um... Because there was this, there's been talk about Oprah. That idea came from the Oprah Winfrey show because she had a similar thing going with the, the book, book club. The book club. Did yeah, you yeah. did you have any did you have any uh, ever have any inter interaction with Oprah Winfrey? No, never actually. Uh, never sort of. I thought uh, you were going to tell me we'd interviewed her and I'd forgotten again. Yeah, because it does happen. It does happen. <laughs> no, no, we haven't actually. Um, and I'd I'd love to. I mean, I think she's must. She's an amazing woman. She's the best. Um, have you met her, Chris? No, never been nearer. Never been in the same no. city as her knowingly. It's bizarre no. because you usually get close to most people at some yeah. point, don't you? It's, it's Judy mentioned Dolly Parton earlier, and what I remember about that interview is that halfway through, she kind of just for some she was sitting down, she sort of stuck stuck her legs out, um, kind of horizontally on the floor, and, and looked at her shoes. And I looked at looked at her feet, and I said. God, you've got really, really small feet, haven't you? And she kind of hoisted her, her embonpoint and said, nothing grows in the shade, honey. <laughs> so great, she had, she great had loads of those, didn't she? Yeah. yeah. Amazing. I love, I love Dolly Parton. I especially You had a bit of a crush on her, I think. I did. I got the closest to a girl crush I've ever had. I got really... Uh, slightly obsessed with her for a short time because yeah. she, she's just so lovely I mean just so incredibly lovely and hugely hugely feminine um and she had the most gorgeous perfume and I, I yeah, she smelled lovely she, she smelled yeah. lovely and I asked her where um what the perfume was and apparently it's her own special kind of, of thing of course it is of course, yes, of course it is. But she was so—I don't know. She—I suddenly saw because you know I'm—I'm I'm, I'm sort of totally sort of heterosexual. But I suddenly saw <laughs> what it must be like. This is the best interview I've ever done. You started it with "I'm not a wanker," <laughs> and now you're talking about your lesbian girl crushes. Yeah, yeah. I suddenly saw what it must be like to sort of fall headily in love with with a woman. It was an extraordinary it's a little thing. It lasted a few days. And I didn't do anything about it. I hastened to her. Really? <laughs> <laughs> but just that thing about forgetting who you've interviewed. I mean, I think I remember most of the people we've interviewed, but we had this moment early this year. We were doing a book club programme for Channel 4 from our living room on Zoom. Um, just, uh, what was it, half an hour or an hour? I can't remember. 
What? Half the show. Was it half an hour? The one we did for yeah. Keep oh, Calm yeah, and Curry and Reading, hour. wasn't it? Was it? I read yeah. that. I yeah. read Richard. Yeah. Yeah. Read and, so, anyway, yeah. and it was it did all right. It was it was good fun. But we were talking about three or four shows in. We were talking about um Elton John's book, Rocket Man, and the film Rocket Man. Um and I said on passant to Judy, I said, oh, I wish I really wish we'd interviewed Elton John back in the day. And she said, we did. I said, did we? And she said, yes. And you know what? Even now, I, I cannot remember. And for a while, I thought, hello, it started, you know, uh, the, the, the brain's going. Um, but I heard, a, I heard them talking about that moment on Saturday Live, the Radio 4 show with the Reverend Richard Coles. And they were talking to, 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 to Steph, you know, who does the, the Channel 4 lunchtime yeah, show now. Um, and, um, and they both admitted the same had happened to them. She said that she'd once interviewed, when she was a financial correspondent, a very, very important and famous banker. And about two hours after the interview, she was on a train going home and this bloke came and sat opposite her and said, hello, Steph. And she thought, oh, God, it's somebody who thinks they know me. So she was like, yes, hello, and hid behind the paper. And he looked a bit miffed. And a couple of stations later, he got off. And as he got off, she suddenly realised it was this bloke she'd interviewed two hours before. Um, and, and, <laughs> two uh, hours? Yeah. <laughs> and, and even and Richard, Reverend Richard Coles topped it. He had a great story. This happened this year. He said he was at a party midweek. And, of course, his show, the, the, this Radio 4 show, goes out Saturday mornings live. He was at a party midweek, and he saw on the other side of the room a very famous household name British actress who he thinks is brilliant. And he thought... I'm going to go and introduce myself to that woman and tell her how great I think she is. So he, he sidled through the crowd, excuse me, excuse me, and he got to her and said, hello, my name is the Reverend Richard Coles. I just want to tell you <laughs> that I am your biggest fan and I think everything you've ever done is wonderful and I just had to get it off my chest. And she said, I know. And he said, how do you know I think that? She said, because I was on your show last Saturday. <laughs> Actually, that does sound very like you, Richard. I can imagine <laughs> you doing something like that. Well, that's really the thing. Have, have, have you ever forgotten oh, someone I've been forgotten been countries that I've been in. I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah, no, we were talking the other day about um, somebody about, oh, somebody who I said I'd love to have met or something like that. Mm. And then somebody texted the show, this show, uh, Virgin Radio Breakfast Show, and uh, they said, Chris, and not only did, do you know him, you played football with him in Italy, live on TV, in front of 11 million people. <laughs> oh, I, I'm feeling so much better. And I couldn't remember going to Italy and playing football. That's brilliant. <laughs> I'm trying to think who it was. It was like That's Rod fun. Stewart, someone like that. I can't remember. Oh, wait, no, yeah. it's a Rod Stewart. That was it. Somebody it was Rod like, Stewart. He was Rod Stewart. <laughs> so, hang on, I forget Elton John and you forget Rod Stewart. And you played football with him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, we were we had a 65, um, 65 man motorcycle um, outride. Um, what do they call it? Convoy. Yeah. So Italian police, police motorcycles, 65 of them on this coach. And Claudio Ranieri was our manager at the time. And I'd forgotten the whole fucking thing. <laughs> Every God. plane from There's North a... Old or wherever it was to there. Yeah. Oh, good oh. God. Not a clue. There's a... And how long ago was that? Last week, <laughs> there's, a, there's a feature writer on the on the on the Daily Mail called Tom Utley, and right. he wrote a piece which which resonated completely. About a year or two ago, he said that um, he and his wife went to, to the usual part of uh, Provence that they go for their summer holidays, rented their usual villa, and he was looking at, at at the map in bed one night of the locality, and he saw a little village, and he recognised the name, and it suddenly came back to him that that was where his aunt, a very favourite aunt, used to go many many years ago for her holidays, and used to come, and it makes it was a village specialised in ceramics. And she used to bring back little ceramic gifts for, for the whole family. And everyone loved this lady. She'd been dead a long time. And he turned to his wife and Ben and said, you see this place here on the map? Why don't we go there tomorrow? That's where our Aunt Flo, or whatever she was called, used, used to go. And I'd love to go and see it. And she said, yeah, let's do that. So they did. The next day, they drove about 30 miles or so to this village. 
and they walked through it. It's a beautiful old medieval village on a hill, a bit like Saint-Paul-de-Vence in France. Um, and they found a nice little cafe, and they sat down and looked around and said, well, no wonder she used to come here, it's gorgeous. And a waiter came in to take their order, and it just looked familiar. And they thought maybe he'd worked in another restaurant or something, and he said to them, welcome back. And they said, uh, no, we've never been here before. He said, yes, indeed, we had a long conversation this time last summer. Your aunt you used to come here on holiday. They had, both of them mm. had completely forgotten that they'd been <laughs> to that village 12 months before and they sat at that restaurant. <laughs> I mean, what is going on? Well, what's going on is we've, we've all been very fortunate to have, to have amazing lives. That's what's going on, isn't it, yeah. I suppose? Very, yeah. Yes. Very vivid lives yeah. we've had. And, um, Extraordinary. These, yeah. I mean, sometimes rainbows are so bright you can't tell the colours in between, and that's sort of, that's sort of you know for some of us. And then we are more than blessed, luckier than we yes. deserve. Apart from Judy, yeah, yeah. who deserves it all. <laughs> Richard, you and I, we are punching <laughs> well up above our weight on every aspect of our lives. Um, but if you watch it, if they put together some old highlight shows of this morning, because um, we've we've put a few together recently of the old TFIs, um, oh, yeah. and and then you'll see you'll see whole weeks and months of things that you you don't even remember remember doing yeah. and even when you watch them back that's the that's the really big one when you watch them back you still don't remember doing them because yeah, you did so much you stuff and it's like my good that looks like it was quite a good time people were having there yeah. that bloke yeah. on screen or you, you two on screen you know um something th something similar happened to me last week i had to do i didn't have to do but but i was asked to read a chapter from the, my last novel, a thing called The Night Book, which was published in 2017. Um, my, kind of like my favourite chapter from the book. It was for some reading um, initiative in the in the southwest so, on Zoom. So I, I went and got the book, and I've not looked at it you know, since it was published. Um, and I, and I, I went to a chapter, and I couldn't remember writing a single word yeah. of it. It was like it had been written by somebody else. I couldn't remember the character in it. I couldn't remember the plot line. I remembered other bits of the book, but that chapter, it was as if somebody had inserted it, you know, after I published it. It was really odd. Yeah, and this isn't the ageing process. This is genuinely just doing loads of stuff, isn't it? But it's yeah, great, though, isn't so. it, when you've done so much stuff. And also, you're not clinging on to it. You know, it doesn't become your after-dinner speech. It's no, it's just, file it's just, and forget, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, file, appreciate, forget. Yeah, and then fondly remember when reminded or nudged. Yeah. I'll give you a, a good example of the, of the reverse. Um, before Judy and I did this this morning, and I was I joined Granada, um, and I was asked to do a pre-recorded interview for that night's Granada reports with Judy, with Don McLean, you know, American Pie, mm -hmm. Vincent. Judy's Judy's rolling her eyes because she's heard this story so many times. But it's a good, it's a, it's a, it's a, which is the, I'm sorry, that is the price of, of marriage, isn't it? Um, any, anyway, anyway, you know, you, you're forced to hear the same stories over and over again, particularly the good ones. It's and this better is than the price of divorce. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, I'm interviewing Don McLean. Now, I've been a fan of Don McLean since I was at, at school. Um, used to cover American Pie. I was in a little folk, little contemporary folk group and loved Vincent and loved Don McLean and loved the album American Pie. So I'm meeting my hero. You know what that's like, Chris. You know, for the first time, I'm meeting someone who, since I was a kid, I just thought was the best thing. And Don McLean's in the studio and we roll tape and, we, and he's in a grumpy mood. I don't mind that. I don't care. He can be as grumpy as he likes. It's Don McLean. That's good enough for me. And after about five minutes, I got to the American American Pie question and I said what now looking back what was American Pie about and he ripped off the microphone stood up said stop the tape stop the tape you were told not to ask anything about American Pie and walked out of the studio left the interview and I was I was mortified and heartbroken this is my hero and then they managed to get him back and he said he it was his thing he never talked about American Pie and we picked up the interview and finished it and it was edited and that bit was cut out and it went out that night now that's 1986 right 
1986. Last year, I was sitting in for Michael Ball on the Radio 2 Sunday brunch slot live, and guess, I was phoned up the day before by the producer, oh, guess who we've booked to sing live? Don McLean. Now, I've not seen Don McLean since 1986, and he's not seen me. Obviously, I remember it, but he's not going to remember what happened. So I get to Radio 2. <laughs> this is 34 years on. I go up to that, that top floor. Don McLean's sitting by the Elton John piano, tuning up his guitar with his back to me. I go, I tap him on the back, and I said, hello, Don, I'm Richard Bailey. I'll be, I'm the host of the show today. And he turned around, and he went straight away. He went, you're the guy that pissed me off. <laughs> Fucking remembered it. Extraordinary. And then he laughed and apologised for all all those years before. Right. And actually, and I said, can I ask you about American Pie today? He said, sure. So on the show, I said, uh, we had a thing about this and we had a little laugh. And I said, mm. but what was American Pie about? And he said, it's a one-sentence answer. He said, basically, American Pie is about me never needing a pension plan. <laughs> I thought it was a great answer. See, but one of the reasons he recognised you is because you haven't changed. You haven't changed. I've just been given, thrusted in front of me now, a still of Judy's... Birthday Tarzanogram moment at ITV. Yeah, it's it. It's unbelievable. Oh, See, will you send it to us? Will you send it to no, us? No, I won't. <laughs> oh, go on. And, um, you know, you look younger than I do now, Richard, and you are older than me, and that's fine because I'm 54 and I've had a life. But what's really annoying is you actually still look younger than me on this blimmin' still as well, which is entirely unfair. Um, <laughs> stu studio makeup and good lighting. Uh, well, yeah, but I, you can't, you know, I am actually... Basically naked. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, so, Channel Four. So, so Channel Four ended after seven or eight years. Was that yep. uh, was that a, a natural sort of slowing down uh, of things that were going on? Was that was that something that you thought about beforehand? No, it, it was out of our control, actually, wasn't it? Uh, I think, basically, the show had become too expensive. It was a ve the, the Rich and Judy show on Channel 4 had a very, very big budget. Uh, I think we employed about 100 people, just under 100 people, with lots of departments. I mean, it was a big beast, um, that show. And I think the channel was, you know, ratings were, 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 you know, across the board, not for our show specifically, but ratings generally were dropping, advertising revenue was dropping. Uh, and I think there was a general consensus that they couldn't carry on paying such a big fee. And I I think, I, th I think we, we we shared the slot for a while with Paul O'Grady, didn't we? Yeah. And his show was much cheaper. I'm not saying it was in, it was a bad show, but it just didn't cost as much because it was much simpler. Whereas ours had so many layers to it. We had so many yeah. features and, and and departments and all the rest of it. And I think it just kind of financially just played out. They basically let, let it be known that this would probably be the last year. Go out on a high, great ratings, all the rest of it. And we we were with a production company, and they they were much more. Um, sort of hit by that than we were. We, we were perfectly happy to call it a day. We'd had a really good run. I mean, these you know, things can't go on forever. Um, but we did a deal with um, with a satellite channel called Watch to do an, to do an, a year with them straight off the back, similar kind of show. And we signed that because it was it was meant to be a free to view channel. But about a week before we went on air, they changed the plans and it was went to pay to view uh, back back in the day. And we we thought, well, that's it. And there's people aren't going to pay to watch us, and, and they didn't. And the, the show the ship was a good show in itself, but the ratings weren't good. And, and we called it a day after that, didn't we? And yeah. I think we were ready to. Oh, I was. I yeah. mean, I, I I was more than ready to go. Yeah. Um, and in fact, um, was uh, was very pleased. I, I kind of felt oh, this sounds. Sounds silly, but I just felt I'd sort of done all that. Yeah. I, I needed my brain and my mind and everything needed to get focused on something else. And you wanted to write, didn't you? I want, yeah, I wanted to write, but I also wanted to think. I just <laughs> and I didn't want I didn't want to be so kind of trapped in that feeling of 
shows. I mean, you know, doing shows every day and hoping that they'd work and wondering if so-and-so would be a great guest and wondering, you know, if, if the whole thing... And, you know, and it was just... It, was, it could be hugely exciting, but I think my nature, if you like, my character um, is, is for something much more... Um, Reflective. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a good word. I, I just, just, just much more reflective, and I, I needed the chance to kind of back off all that and to reflect, <laughs> hmm. which I did. Hmm. When you two first laid eyes on each other, right? Hmm? Did you ever think for a second <laughs> the roller coaster ride you're about to embark upon? No, no, we didn't at all. I mean, we did. We met. I was already at Granada, and you joined. You joined yeah. in 1982, didn't you? You yeah. came, and you say you joined uh, to become the sort of third presenter with me and the lovely Tony Wilson, uh, and reporter as well on the road, reporter too. Because you did, you did. We did both at Granada, didn't we? You'd go out and be a reporter, and then you'd come in and, and host the show later. But mm. yeah, but yeah. but but uh, no, I think most of it was presentation okay. when you when, when when you joined, um, and. Um, no, we always we always kind of got on, but no, I didn't. I didn't think there wasn't there wasn't a if you like <laughs> a, a, a kind of a a spot. I mean, I, I fancied Judy straight away. You know, I thought she was great, but you know, she was married, she had children. Uh, I was coming to the end of my first marriage at that time, and that was a bit of a preoccupation. Right. You know, it was a fairly unhappy time. I was commuting uh, from Leeds across to Manchester every day because I've been I've been poached from Yorkshire Television. Um, so you know, we had other lives really going on. Um, what we did find very quickly was how how much we clicked. Uh, we have very similar outlooks politically, journalistically, socially. We agreed on so much stuff. Um, I mean, I remember, actually, it must have been 82 because it was the, um, it was the time of the Falklands War, wasn't it? Um, and the Granada television certainly was, in those days, pretty hard left and pretty anti-Tory and pretty anti-Tory government um, and very anti-Thatcher. And the fact that she dispatched a, you know, a fleet down to the Falklands to get the islands back did not go down well. They saw it as kind of post-colonialism and all that kind of stuff. Whereas Judy and I saw it as an entirely appropriate response to a fascist dictator who'd invaded you know, British territory and was basically putting these, these British people under, under the yoke. And it was absolutely right that we should go down, kick him out and, and, and free them because he was, he was a terrible man, General Galtieri, terrible. So we were the only two people in the newsroom who thought like that and we kind of bonded, didn't we, that there'd be these kind of left-wing ranks going on in the newsroom after the news conference and we'd stand up and say, no, you're wrong. Don't you know a fascist dictator when you see one? Mm. Um, and we were the only two people, and I think we, we kind of took comfort in that, didn't we, together? <laughs> no? <laughs> Am I misremembering it? But... No, 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 you're not, you're not, no, I think comfort's a bit... Yeah, you're right, it was, um, it, it, it was very much a kind of... Uh, synergy, uh, anyway. Synergy, yeah, synergy, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, I mean, we, we kind of enjoyed working together. I think yeah, that did. was definitely true. But we didn't, we didn't kind of realise there was something else going on until we went to Blackpool. <laughs> <laughs> it all goes on in Blackpool, ladies and yes. gentlemen. It's that Strictly moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kiss me quick, oh, or slow if you like. Yeah. <laughs> no, we. Um, yeah, we had to go to Blackpool to um, cover, you know, you, the Blackpool lights. Yes. And, um, Did you switch them they, on? 
No, right. we didn't switch them on, right. but we were there to cover them being switched on. The thing is, we again, it's amazing this doesn't happen anymore, but lo- regional news programmes like the one that we were working on, the uh, Granada Reports, which was for, 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 the, for the northwest region, Manchester, Liverpool and all around there, um, that we used to have a break in the summer, didn't we? Just come off air, yeah. So we were coming back on air and we had to do a big promo for us coming back on air and we thought it'd be a good idea to do it from Blackpool, which was switching on the lights at the same time. So uh, we went to, Rich and I went back, went to Blackpool um, with a crew to do this... Um, do promotions. To do promotions, yeah. yeah, we're coming back, we're coming back, whatever, whatever. And then the crew kind of had to leave us because they were off to do um, some news footage for some other Blackpool politician or something, I don't know, and we were kind of left on our own. Um, we ended up having dinner together, didn't we? Mm. And it sort of um, became clear then, I think, that there was... Something happening. Some little and we, faint and, back. And we got a black cab together back to back to yeah. Manchester. I mean, about an hour and a half drive back to Manchester in, a, yeah. in the back of a cab at like eleven at night. That. Yeah, uh, wasn't yeah, it? rattling. A black cab from Blackpool to Manchester, that's part yeah. of it. It's so really romantic. Fun. Where did you go, <laughs> and that, where did you and go with dinner we, and what did you... We, sorry, Rich. Well, that was, where we, that was where we kissed for the first time in the back of the cab, wasn't it? When we said goodnight. So it's like a Richard Curtis film. And it was a bit, <laughs> to be honest. It really, it, 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 it was sort of really strange. Um, and um, and it, still nothing happened for quite a long time, did it? No, but the... the the, the fire had been we were, lit. We were both, yeah. we were both yeah. kind of uh, aware of each other in a different way. You yeah, know? goodness. Was mm-hmm. it raining in the black cab? Well, not in the black Probably. cab. Probably. <laughs> yeah. it, it was Blackpool. It was October and it was... Yes, so I'm I sure think we can assume raining. it was raining. No, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about from a, a filmic romantic point of view because they, oh, so they always make in it that rain, case, Chris, don't the answer they? is yes. Yes, of yes course. it was raining. Of course it was. It was raining, yeah. Of course it was. And it was Christmas outside as well. See, I mean... Yeah, it's called How to Wow this podcast, right? So How to Wow at Marriage, that's one thing, because you two have got a fantastic marriage and it's so stoic and strong and beautiful and loving and, and you know, <laughs> confrontational and everything it should be. But also How to Wow at Marriage and How to Wow at Home and at Work when you're with the same person, right? So mm. just before we finish, can you just give us all some takeaways? You know, what do you do when you have a row? How do you sense that the other person, you know, is uh, is, um, is experiencing a wobble? You know, Judy, how do you calm Richard down when he still gets irate about things that he doesn't have to? <laughs> if I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think desperately. I mean, we... Um... Let's go back to the basics, right? When you two have a row, how do you sort it out? Uh, I, I, I think I can answer it. We give each other space. We, I mean, we sort of... One will leave the room uh, and not come back for a while and let things simmer down. And usually, usually, you get a sense of proportion and context. It returns, doesn't it? And then either there's something that needs to be said, but usually we just pick it up as if it hasn't happened, don't we? Like, you'll come back in the room and say, oh, um, I've just had a message from Chloe. She's saying da 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 or I'll come in and say, right, I'm just going to the shops. Anything you particularly need? That kind of thing. Yeah, because they're not... I mean, the thing is, rows sort of... They're not, at the moment... I mean, they're kind of, after such a, a long marriage, they're not kind of about fundamental... No. Nothing Nothing sort of big has happened outside mm. or nothing sort of... Some, there's no huge cataclysmic sort of... 
you know, event or anything like that which causes a row. I think, I mean, especially during lockdown when uh, we're all sort of in it together, a lot of it is just basic. If we have a row, a lot of it is just basic irritation. Um, well, a really good. We had a, a, a small row last night because we were watching. Actually, the wrong series of The Crown. Like yeah, we, 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 we got the wrong one, didn't we? <laughs> 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 See, that uh, would have been thinking... five had it been series... Fine, had it been series five, but not exactly. one before four. Well, Judy's actually... Judy's much better at handling all the TV technology than I am. In fact, I had to get her to show me again last night. How do we get Netflix on this? Um, and anyway, so we, we thought we'll, we'll watch... We're going to watch Strictly, but before that, we're going to watch an episode, this new episode of The Crown. And after about 15 minutes, I said, this is a bit slow, isn't it? I said, it's all about Princess <laughs> Margaret. I thought it was meant to be about Diana. Um, um, and, and I'd cooked dinner and there were some dishes to be washed. And so I, I left the room and I said, don't stop it. I'll be, I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Don't stop it. I'm just going to do the dishes. And I came back in what I thought was about 10 minutes. And Judy was really understandably a bit miffed that I hadn't sat with her to watch this programme that we were both going to watch together. So we had Because a it of... was your idea. Because it's my idea, exactly. And my... then you left. I know. And I, I said, yeah, but I was doing the washing up and I was getting you your pudding, if you remember, with ice cream and stuff. Um, so, so I was out of the room for 10 minutes and she understandably got a bit miffed. So we had a bit of a <clears throat> about that. Um, but, you know, that's hardly... Who was that woman I saw you with <laughs> coming no, out I know. of the well, restaurant? Just, just... Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. <laughs> <laughs> we could ask Richard about his biggest man crush. Let's just do that anyway. Um, I suppose it was... I suppose, to be fair, it was, it was Don McLean. That fantastic picture of him on the cover of American Pie, right. giving the thumbs up with the American flag painted on his uh, on the top of his mm. thumb. I, I had a lot of time for Don McLean. Okay, to turn that last question and response into something useful, uh, because <laughs> it was funny but not. Um, so how did you how did you get to the point where you no longer have these sort of um, these sort of uh, what would they be called seminal arguments? So so just to get through, really did. how did you iron it out, or you just you just you, you I come don't think on? We ever did. You must maybe. maybe presenting this morning helped because you have to get on with each other because you've got to turn up again. Ah, now that's a really good point. Yeah. We it, Sometimes we'd be driving across the M62 to Liverpool having a blazing row about God knows what in the car, really big stuff. Yep. And you'd get out and go to your separate dressing rooms and Judy would go into makeup. And, uh, of course, you know, we're in, front, we're in front of colleagues there. You can't ha carry on around there. So perforce we couldn't argue. And then we're on air um, and interviewing people and being jokey and having a laugh. And you're quite right. The process of doing this morning was like a salve. You know, it was like putting on the Savlon. In, and actually, we'd finished the show, having gone through, you know, quite a an emotional experience, which is live television, and it had sort of gone. The, the row, the reasons yeah. for the row, the emotions had, mm. had been purged. I also think that if you've been together for quite a long time, well, for a very long time, um, you kind of know that... Uh, that certain reactions are a product of irritability and not necessarily about the other person at all. You know, they're just they're, they're, they're a, uh, the fact that, you know, you, you were expecting uh, your child to ring and he or she didn't or um, all sorts of things like sort of things that you just general sort of daily wear and tear. And I think if you kind of blow up at each other and have a row about that, um, there's something in you that knows after all this time that it's not it's not going to change anything. It's yeah. not It's not cataclysmic. You know it's just the wear and tear of daily life. I always remember interviewing... Do you remember Bob Carroll, Gs? I do. Oh, and Spit yeah. the Dog. Spit the Dog, yeah. And we were interviewing Bob Carroll, Gs about something and... Um, and his wife, uh, I can't remember why she was there, but it, it must have been some sort of something they'd both done together. And I remember them telling me that they had never been together a long time. They had never, ever, ever had a row. Mm. Never, ever, ever had a row. And I thought that was 
amazing and I felt very envious of them because I thought that must mean, in a sense, that they were better people, you know, for, for, for sort of not having around, not losing their temper. But <clears throat> I think in the end, I think, you know, if you're, if, especially, especially if you're both sort of quite opinionated, which we are, I mean, that, and that's part, partly the job and the career and all the rest, but um, you're bound to uh, rub each other the other way. The, the, the way to get round it is simply to keep it in proportion. Um, it's nothing really. It's just it's just a nasty blip, a nasty bubble. I think, completely Rich? agree. Yeah, same. Completely agree. If you talked about, it's funny listening to Judy there. If you talk about each other in terms of character, I would say, and I forgive me if this sounds judgmental. It's not meant to, um, but I'm prone to a bit of this. I do have a bit of previous. Um, <laughs> I would say, Richard, you are you are a person of opinions. And Judy, you're a person of beliefs. By the way, only first, um, because I think you love an opinion, Rich, based on your mm. beliefs, your, your belief structure. And I think, Judy, you always refer to situations and, and things that have happened via your beliefs without wanting to prove a point necessarily. Hmm. I, yeah, I think, you're, I think you're right. I mean, I think I, 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 I'm very bad and I always have been very bad at uh, sort of performing a belief I can't I get very uncomfortable um if I feel um I've got to sort of um pretend to espouse an opinion uh which doesn't chime with which I feel something I feel and deeply believe it inside and I've never been able to leave that behind it still leads I mean even after all these years it still leaves me feeling um very Bad if that, and, and I, you know, and, and Rich, you're right. I mean, Richard does have opinions, and sometimes I disagree with his opinions because they are just that they're opinions, <laughs> and opinions opinions aren't the same as as beliefs. I, I, I believe so. I, I kind of, um, I think I, I think I feel things just a bit more deeply than you do. I, I think that, I think I think your analysis, Judy, and what you said to spark it, Chris, is pretty accurate. Yeah, um, I am opinionated. Which isn't to say that I'm, I'm not, you know, open to having my mind changed or I arrogantly think that I'm right. I'll quite often say it's just my opinion. I'm yeah. not saying necessarily that I'm right. So I don't think I'm, I'm sort of, uh, if you like, a bully in that sense. That I, I'm, I try and bully other people into thinking the same way as I do. Um, but I do, I do form opinions. I think them through. You know, I don't argue blindly for things. Like, for example, I've thought through lockdown and I am firmly against it. I think lockdown is a, is a, a very bad way of of dealing with the problem that we've got. And frankly, so does the World Health Organization. They think lockdown's a bad thing. Um, and I could go on about that, and Judy's beginning to roll her eyes because she's, she's, she's heard me talking about this. But I don't just, I don't, don't just reflexly leap to a, a, an anti-lockdown thing. I think it through, uh, I evaluate the arguments on both sides, and then I come to my conclusion. And then you, you can shift me, but it has to be with a, with a, with a good argument. Yes, and I enjoy that process. I enjoy actually knowing what I think about things. I don't like thinking, oh, I don't know what to think about that. I like to actually, I like to, to drill down and, and work out what my position is. And I, I, I enjoy that. That's, if you like, that's, that's an intellectual game I play with myself. Yeah, but um, you, don't, you don't, once you've made an, an opinion, you, find, you, you don't shift it easily. Not you easily, don't. no, because I've come to it with care. But, but, if, but, I say, if I say to you that, that the way you think that we shouldn't be using lockdown yes. and we should just be protecting the vulnerable, if I say to you the obvious uh, point, uh, hmm. which is that you simply cannot 
separate the elderly from the young in no. a way that you say. I mean, in in a way that you know the elderly who are the most vulnerable. If you let the the, the, the young, they live with the young. Yes. They live in the same houses with the young. And they would, live. And I would agree. And I. The thing but you is, don't is, come up with any solutions. Oh, well, I, no, but no. I, but I'll come up with a. I'll come come up with a, 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 an answer to that. You're absolutely right. Although it, it's not an absolute. Oh, that's the vacuum cleaner going. I think. Sorry, our cleaners <laughs> just doing the vacuuming. Um, I. <laughs> I absolutely accept what you say, mm -hmm. but I would counter that by saying this. I was listening to a sophologist on Radio 4 a few days ago who has, over the last two weeks, studied every, virtually every country in the world who have all had differing policies on how to handle it. Some have had massive lockdown, some have had extremely effective trace and testing, some have done very little, like Sweden. It really is across the board. Some, like in France, have had massive lockdown, much, much stricter than ours. Some have had much stricter quarantine, or less so. Do you know what? Across the planet, the end game, nine months into this, is pretty much the same. Whatever Absolutely. We, what, so whatever we do... Nobody the, knows what no, to do. No, whatever we do, the virus is going to transmit itself to us. And so what we should be looking at, and we, and we are, of course, but we should be focusing on treatment and obviously the vaccine. Because whatever we, because whatever we do, it's going to come and get us. And locking down, it seems to me, and we, let's not get into this now, but... but Locking down does such damage, not just to the economy, which is important, but, but, it, it, but people you, oh. die because of lockdown. I'm sorry. They have I... cancer because <laughs> they're getting cancers because of lockdown. They're getting they're collapsing with heart attacks because of lockdown, that, yes, and, they, but... and domestic violence is going up because of lockdown. And it doesn't work. It's a bit like having a cease. Look, just supposing every every three months in World War One, there was a ceasefire that lasted three months, and then they went back. You'd still have 19 million soldiers dead, but, it, but the war would have finished in, in 1924, not 1918. You're just kicking the can down the road. Well, I don't agree. I know you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do you know what that was? Do you know what that was? What? That was a classic Richard and Judy exchange. And that's, <laughs> that's where I want to finish. But, and now, <laughs> okay. you, you don't understand. You two don't understand, God bless you, and nor is it your place to, why people were so fascinated with this morning. It wasn't the guests... It wasn't the interviews. It wasn't the competitions. It was when you two had an exchange like that. <laughs> and that is just, that is heaven sent. Bang on two hours. Thank you, God. That was awesome. <laughs> Seriously. And, and the, run, the running order, you know, for this morning had to allow for those exchanges between you and Rich and Rich, you and Judy. It was, oh my God, that was like, that was like going back in a time machine. Well, Philip Schofield <laughs> says in his, in his autobiography, he says, that, he, he says that when he was asked to be a guest, you know, to, to be interviewed on this yeah. morning, he very quickly learned not to agree if, if he was going to be on after midday. He said, because if you were in the after midday slot, yeah. which had the highest ratings, you actually got the shortest time because... Because of you. Because of us. Because of you. Because of us. Because we didn't eat up all the time. All have right. we really done two hours here? Yeah. Gosh, we have, haven't we? Nailed it, mate. Absolutely nailed it. And um, the news is out there now. Graham Norton to join Virgin Radio at the weekend, so we can talk about it. Good for him and good for you for getting him. He's yeah. a great broadcaster. Yeah. Uh, you're building up a really good stable there. Yeah, nothing to do with me, of course, um, him coming no. over here. No. I was not involved in the negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, then. Well, you two are awesome. Seriously, absolutely. A joy. That was a joy, a joyous conversation for me to be It was fun, of. wasn't it? Oh, yeah, we, mate. Well, we, listen, it, it, it's a two-way thing. Well, I, I really enjoyed it as well. It was lovely talking to you. Um, you've, you've always <laughs> been so nice to me, so thank you very much indeed Oh, for well, that. listen, we're, we're, we're sincere friends, Chris, and, and great admirers of you. We think you're great. Huge admirers. Um, and, 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 yeah, I mean, you're a, an enormous addition to life, generally. <laughs> have, you still got that, have you still got that grey Mark II Jag that I drove when we came and had lunch with you and Billy that day? 
Um, no, but I've got one very similar. It's just what, a, a different two? one. Yeah, it's a Mark II, but it's a Coombs spec. It, it doesn't matter. Let's not go all nerdy about it. But you can still borrow it. The point is. <laughs> the point is you can still borrow it. Right. It's not actually that mine, good but fun, I Chris. have access to it. All right. Uh, what are you doing for the rest of the day? What happens on a Monday? Uh, right. I'm going to write another... I'm going to the shops, and then I'm going to write another chapter of my novel, uh, which I've managed to get back to. Um, I've been putting it off and putting it off, but I'm about half, getting on for the halfway point. I'm going to do a chapter of the novel today. Um... Uh, what are you going to do? I've got a. I'm sorting out the next book club um, oh, sort of books, list. Yes. We've 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 got a huge. We're a bit behind, aren't we? We've got a huge backlog because we've been doing all these podcasts, which are very time consuming and very enjoyable. But we've got <laughs> we've got loads of <laughs> good caveat, <laughs> which are very time consuming, especially when the two hours and ten minutes, Evans. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I've, I've, I've just got some Ooh, basic background so to do. Yeah. Okay, and no Zumba? No Zumba today, Judy? <laughs> Zumba? <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> All right. Would you, would, would you, very quickly, Chris, would you do Strictly? I, well, I, was, I signed up for it. I, well, the contract was signed, and then I did Top Gear, and we all know what went wrong there. Uh, uh, I was trying okay. to be Churchill instead of the Mayor of London. <laughs> oh, funny! <laughs> That's really good. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like I'd already right, thought then. of it. All right, you two. Thank you so much. Uh, please let's see each other soon. Um, I yeah, love you both. You know where I am. Lots of love. All love right, too. take care, mate. All right, bye, bye, bye. See you. Bye. Aren't they gorgeous? That's Richard and Judy. Actual Richard and Judy and I think we need more of those guys back in our lives just my opinion but there you go I've got them in mind because they're my mates but I think we all need more of them collectively alright this has been How to Wow hope you've enjoyed it I love that episode that's the kind of conversation I wouldn't have with them you know socially it's funny isn't it the whole, the whole podcast thing you know we step up to the plate we try and have the best conversation we can within the time allotted and you know sometimes we actually pull it off but you can't go wrong with God like Richard and Judy. All right, that's it. Uh, rate and review this episode if you don't mind and subscribe because all that really helps. And of course, I must thank our sponsors of this episode, Athletic Greens, without whom we really couldn't do it. Go to athleticgreens.com slash howtowow now and join health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash howtowow. And if you do input the howtowow bit of that URL, you'll get a free year's supply of vitamin D and five travel-free sachets today. That's their special offer to you by us. Athleticgreens.com slash howtowow. Have a great one. See you next time. Ta-da. Sorry. Ta-da!